Welcome back to uh, uh, another episode of Black Sheep and Bad Apples. Uh, I'm uh, I'm your host, Lauren O'Brien. Mr. Uh, Lauren O'Brien. Mr. Lauren O'Brien. And uh, as usual, we've got the uh, the Sean over here. Oh yeah. Producer man. All right. The, and okay. The Sean. Sean Hill. And the uh, Mr. Sam here. Did you say D Sean? D. No, I said the Sean. It's hard to tell because D and uh, D sound. Sam? One of my best friends' name is D. Sean. That's dope. So tonight we're going to be discussing like a little, little, little history. Um, we're going to be still talking about the Russia stuff like we did last episode, but we're going to be kind of going back in time and talking about something that may or may not be mysterious. It may or may not be some espionage stuff. So um, it's also just a really interesting story. And, uh, Wait, and may or may not? May or may not. Huh. That's what that's what makes it interesting. So we'll get into the details here in a little bit. Um, Sam, are you okay? That weed is too strong. Uh, you should talk into your microphone more, but I'm sure they heard you and it is too strong. Half of your mustache blew away. The bottom half. Oh, man. <laughs> That'd be great if you just shaved half your face. So it's just like... Did you guys... Have you guys seen the monkey tail beard? Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Super weird. So, what do you guys know about? Uh, uh, I almost did that. What do you guys know about Dyatlov Pass? I want to go with a big fat no. Like nothing. I'm not. Nope. Is it uh, that thing you were sort of filling us in about just before we started recording? Like, very vaguely. Uh, it's similar to that. Then I know that. Yeah. Yeah. So not much. So what do you guys nothing know about? Russia and their uh, their their uh, their climate. Cold. Mm-hmm. Really? I thought it was warm. I, I mean, they, they do have, have their they beaches. Have Don't region, they have like yeah. the largest desert or something? Oh, that's China. China. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Same continent. I get them confused. Now, now, how much do you guys know about camping? Lots. Lots about camping. Lots camping. about camping. Yeah. Um. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna go with the. Uh, Higher tiers on that one. And would you say that you guys are proficient and or experienced um, hikers in regards to, to more than just going out and then coming back in the same day? Well, would you guys... Oh, yeah. I've spent months in hiking. Yeah. At a stretch. I am still hiking. He's hiking now, actually. I'm, I'm mid-hike. Weird. In his heart. He's mid-hike in his heart. Well, tonight we're going to be talking a little bit about camping... The 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 terrain of Russia. We're going to be talking about experience. Okay, in, so not glamping. I don't know what that is. That's where you have, like glamour camping. Glamping. We're going to be talking about the exact opposite of glamping. Okay. Yeah. Okay. This is yeah, yeah. this is rugged, and uh, and 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 because when you said camping, I was thinking like you drive up with a car, unpack the cooler, call somebody, order pizza. No, I'm more referring to like hiking and camp, like backpacking, like kind of camping. Sojourning. Sojourning. That's a good term for it. Like you better bring two pair of boots. Exactly. Gotcha. Yeah. So do they have on-site firewood for sale in small bundles? Well, yeah. Who carries their firewood? That's what I want to know. Well, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So these people did all this shit in a forest. Um, and, uh, so as such money, you can't really, it's really weird. Trees haven't developed the technology yet to accept bills to like spit out wood, like a vending machine yet. And so they had to do it, like the old fashioned way. That would be the best way. tree ever. That would be so cool. Yeah. 
Oh, I was gonna say LA is getting close. They got those those fake the the trees that you like are antennas and stuff. Oh, they have those everywhere. Yeah, they have those everywhere. Are they everywhere now? They have one in Weaverville. Oh. Yeah, it just Shit. it's just, it just looks like we a don't pine have a tree in Weaverville in this county, but we got one of those. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so uh, we're gonna start uh, with this uh, this journey that these people t- took tonight. Uh, in January of 1959, uh, a group of young college students set off on an expedition to the Ural Mountains in central Russia. Group leader Igor Dyatlov took nine other hikers with him to reach Mount Ortorten, which is very fun to say. Or Thornton. Or Thornton. It's just, I love it. Burzmoy. Or Thornton. Or Thornton. Like, it's one of my favorite words. I feel like we need to drink a lot more vodka before we can properly pronounce that. Oh. I'm honestly really upset that this is probably going to be the last time in the episode that we talk. Oh, no. We have got one more other time that we talk about Mount or Thornton. But or Thornton. It's very disappointing. But, but yeah, these uh, these college students, all of them are, are fairly experienced. One of them kind of isn't. Um, uh, they... they, they all of these people, more or less, all of these people come come from the Ural Polytechnic Institute. So they're all like college students. They're all about twenty three. One of them is actually about thirty eight. But but they're more or less they had all come from this 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 one college. Um, and the group had set off on January twenty third by way of train to Seryov, um, and they had arrived the morning the next day. And the day after that, on the twenty fifth, they had boarded another train to Vijay where they would disappear into the woods for a few weeks. And the plan was for everybody to be gone for more or less two to three weeks, um, including this train ride. It was about three weeks. Um, and, and, and they would show back up uh, around, uh, they would show back up in Vizay around February 12th. And so they had this, this little window of time, about a two week window, three week with a train ride that they were looking at. And, and to some people like kind of hiking out into the middle of nowhere, um, this may seem like really extreme, um, but the, the, again, everybody here is basically extremely experienced. There was there was just that one member, uh, the mysterious one, as we'll come to learn later, uh, Semyon Zolotaryov. Uh, he had done a he had done twenty four on record hikes, and uh, and and the on record is 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 as a way to to give people badges for their mountaineering skills, and so these. <clears throat> uh, Semyon Zolotaryov, he, he had the most experience here. Um, and this is in stark cre- contrast with like most of the others who had like four to eight on record hikes, um, whereas Yuri Doroshenko um, had zero experience with hiking. And so, so this is kind of... on the record. He's on, on the record hikes, yeah, exactly. I'm here for my first badge. Yeah, and, and we can kind of assume that he's done hikes, but we don't really know a whole lot. He's a friend of a friend. What, what is exactly? The, like, what's the name of the mountain again? Uh, Ortorten. O R. Let me see. Uh, O R T O R T E N. Um, and so having like talked about a little bit of the group's experience, which again is like the the median average for all these hikers is f- pretty skilled at being hikers, you know. And and so other than Yuri Doroshenko, they they had a really strong team put together is this a badge worthy hike will they all get a like they will get an on record for this yeah yeah Yeah. on record that's yeah and and we're going to get into that here in the next thing because you know having talked about their experience i want to talk about the mountainside a little bit from here um and this is kind of just to set the story for what we're about to talk about um see because at the at the time of year 
for the route that they had picked specifically, um, it was extremely difficult in these winter months. Um, it's Russia. Wait, they were doing this in the winter? They were doing this uh, between, I believe, January 30th was the time that they landed at Vigée. And then they were going to come back around February 12th. So this is still, you know, mid to late December, but they're doing this. Um, and this particular route between Vigée and Nortorten was labeled a Category 3 hike, the most difficult one can endure. And at the time of the incident, temperatures were estimated to be between 12, negative 12 and negative 30 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, and so, so at night, this is really, really cold. And during the day, it's probably negative five, like up to zero Fine. degrees um, Fahrenheit, you know. And, and so this is not a an easy trek for people to do. Yeah. But. Pretty cold. They're Russians. Yeah. So like. Oh, it's like people being from like, uh, like Wisconsin. They're like, yeah, it's like, it's like negative 10 today. It's pretty warm out. Yeah. And I look at it as being like a, uh, 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 um, like in Skyrim, you can be a, an orc and an orc has this berserk mode where he's naturally stronger, uh, where he can go into the super, the super stage where he's stronger and faster. But other than that, he's just really strong and his, his buffs, the things that he's really good at are just being strong and, and beating the absolute Christ out <laughs> of things. Guy got, these guys got buffs and cold. Yeah, exactly. These are Russians, and so they're kind of, like, used to this. Not that this... Like, it's always cold here. This ain't nothing. Like, yeah. We and prefer the cold. The ground's better. You've seen that hat I've got, that, like, Russian. It's made out of sable, which is like a weasel. Member of the weasel family. Mm. It's the warmest fucking thing I've ever put on my head. Like, mm. if you had a coat with some of that in it, I don't think you you could get cold. The boots aligned with it. Yeah, I don't think you get cold. I think you could that point. up until you know a certain degree temperature. You know, sure. And then but you it's have to like be... 30, 40 below, and you maybe start to like need to worry. Yeah, you're like I'm, I stopped sweating. What's going on here? <clears throat> and so, as I said, they were expected back in Vijay around the around like February twelfth, but only one person ended up surviving this trip. Yuri Yudin is the sole survivor of the trip, and that's only because the day after their trip had begun, Yudin had gotten severe sciatica pain, described as poor health in the official records, and had to go back, leaving the total number of hikers in the Dyatlov group at nine. And kind of an interesting little note is that from Vijay, um, they moved uh, to this logging kind of settlement, kind of closer to where they were going. And, and the route that they had took, actually, they'd gotten picked up by a logging truck. And so it seems that... Um, um, Yuri Yudin, the reason that he had to stay behind was because the bouncing on the logging truck and on these bad roads like really hurt his back, and he had to go back because of that, which is fortunate for him because otherwise he did, shit's he about to happen. <laughs> so um, Yuri when, Yudin, when did this take place? Uh, this was uh, 1959. 1959. Yeah. Oh shit. Okay. And and so the twelfth had come and passed, and when the hikers hadn't returned, a search party was sent out to find them, and. This was uh, about a week and a half, 10 days later, uh, February 21st. And uh, this detail isn't really super important. Is like hikes can, they're, they're kind of an estimated thing, you know. Sometimes it can take a couple extra days for people to return because they stopped at a waterfall or somebody had to slow down because of a hurt foot or something like that. And so, so they didn't really panic at first. So it explains this little window between when they were expected and when they sent out a search party. Um, but what they found made this story a favorite for people who like conspiracy theories and mysteries. It, 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 it's, 
crazy. So we're going to get into what they first found, which was the tent. And this was the, the 26th of February when the rescue team had found the tent. It was abandoned and horribly damaged. It was found about 10 miles from their destination on the inhospitable slope of the Colat Salik, uh, Siakil, something like that. Colat uh, Siakil, yeah. Uh, in Mansi, the, the indigenous and ethnic and, and language group in the region, Colat means dead or meager, and uh, Siakil translates to mountain. And so their tent was found on the side of scarce or meager mountain, or you could also hear, like interpret it as dead mountain. And uh, and the reason... This, this what, what did you say? Sverdovsky Oblast? No. No. <laughs> That's the region, I do believe. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and so the tent was found by a student who remarked that, quote, the tent was to was half torn down and covered uh, with snow. It was empty and all the group's belongings, belongings and shoes had been left behind, end quote. And this is very important. Hmm. Remember that little detail. Say that one more time. Quote, the tent was half torn down. Th this is the guy who found the tent. The tent was half torn down and covered with snow. Important. It was empty, and all the group's belongings and shoes had been left behind. End quote. This was the tent that... Like they fleed in the middle of the night. In their that's, sleep. That's kind of what it seems. In a panic. Like something happened, and they had to leave. And so the hikers... How did we get back to Bigfoot? <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to get into that, actually. It so was, hold that Siberian thought. Tigers. It's called Yeti. <clears throat> and so... See, Yeti. So... One thing that they also found was that the hikers had taken their time to dig the snow out from this little slope that they were on in order to pitch their tent. And in doing so, th this this would make the wind not so so brutal on them. It wouldn't take it wouldn't blow their tent down. Um, and this is also extremely valuable because the five foot ten tent would be exposed to all these winds. And so they had dug down almost six feet for, for the protection from the elements. Well, it also and, acts as like an insulative barrier too. So yeah. that temperature, like it's like digging a snow cave, but you're just digging down a tent. So you're digging a snow cave and putting a, a fabric roof on it, more or less. Well, I'm assuming. And you would be surprised how much snow insulates. Like when oh, yeah. you put some some heat in there, just body heat. Yeah, uh, a couple candles. Yeah, a couple candles and to, that many we people. Used to put a couple candles in our well, little. You, or you just start a little like fire to cook on and stuff. Yeah. Like it's going to be nice and warm. And so I want to show you um, a couple of photos from. Well, I want to show you one photo from them digging out this tent site, and then I'm going to show you the photo uh, where they found the tent. And so this is them dig on, on the mountainside and they are digging out um the hillside in order to to set the tent down this was found on one of their camera rolls um after the forensics team had kind of gone through they don't look like they're wearing any fur they don't they look like they're wearing a lot of ski stuff which will come in in and that, that's that comes into play later um uh, and then this was this was the tent when they found it yeah, and you guys can can listening at home can find these these uh these photos online. Um, it's not really that hard to find them, and it's it just looks like it was collapsed by the snow, to be honest. Yeah, and and it's an interesting sight at the very least, and that's why I wanted to show the guys here. And uh, you know, I'll, I'll actually I'll put these I'll put a tag to Where these up on, on the mountain. Were they when this happened? Uh, they were on uh. 
I can't remember the exact side, but I, I believe it was the east side, and they were about uh, one and a half kilometers away. F uh, they were one and a half kilometers southwest from uh, from a, a bundle of trees from a, from a little wood. Um, and so when they found this tent, there was no bodies or signs of life. Um, and an investigator said that the tent appeared to have been cut open from the inside and that the hikers had left the tent in socks or bare feet. Um, they'd also found eight or nine sets of tracks in the snow left by the hikers, either barefooted, wearing socks, and, and there was even one who was wearing a single shoe. Huh. And so now, now the case comes to, to there's a tent. People are cutting themselves out from the inside to escape the tent. Weird. And okay. nobody knows why. And so... Yeah, that's a, kind of a trippy scenario. Yeah, and... And, and, and so, this is like the first thing that came along, along the path. Like, they routed them trying to find them. Like, let's follow where we think they're hiking. Yeah. And this is like the first... This is the first indication that the hikers have been here. They're like, oh, shit. We found... Okay, they were on this path. But this How is far what from we the found. summit were they? Uh, they were only about ten miles from the mountain or Torton itself. They oh they weren't even to the mountain. No, no, no. This is on they a were on like a separate 10 mountain. Miles east of the mountain. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so on. they had to cross another valley, I do believe. It's a it's a really big fucking hike. <laughs> and honestly, good on them for for, for trying. Um and so you say ten miles east, eh? Uh it's all woods. It's all woods. It's, the whole mountain's just surrounded by woods until you get up on the higher ridges yep. and stuff. And that's where they were. They were on uh, the, the Mount Kolyat. K-H-O-L-A-T. That's what you should search in your Google. And you should be able to see the Dyatlov Memorial on Google Maps if that's what you're looking for. Um, but yeah, again, they, they had cut the tent open from the inside and investigators found like shoe prints, but they had kind of disappeared. And so uh, the, 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 the tracks that they did follow kind of pointed in the direction of nearby woods, which is kind of what Sam was talking about. And these were about one and a half kilometers away from the, from the tent. Um, but after, uh, as I said, a little while, 500 meters, um, wind and snow had blown away any trace of footprints due to, to the severe wind and snow that can be found there. Um, Dyatlov Pass? Dyatlov, yeah. yeah okay. Yeah, and so they followed the projective path of, of these footsteps to the trees and found a large cedar tree. Underneath the tree was the remains of a fire and the remains of the two hikers, Yuri Krivoshenko and Yuri Doroshenko. Hmm. So, <clears throat> so they ran like a couple kilometers from their tent. It's from found, what we found a tree, started a fire, and died there. From what we can tell, everybody ran away from, from the tent. Like, these two, not as, wearing as far shoes. as this investigation had been found, these two are found under a tree. And, and there's like a little, like a small little fire underneath the tree. And these two bodies. Not quite enough. Not quite like enough. Like no shoes, just Well, we're going to get into that real quick. Because uh, Yuri Doroshenko uh, was wearing a sleeveless cotton undershirt. Uh, uh, a short sleeve checkered shirt with all six buttons fastened. He was wearing shorts, swimming trunks, and cotton underwear. He was also wearing two different wool socks. The socks on the left foot were burned, and he had particles of moss and pine needles in his hair, and the hair on, his, on the right side of his head was burned. 
Durashenko's body was described as purple-brown, and he also had a gray foam coming from his, his right cheek and gray liquid from his right mouth. And this could be a possible pulmonary edema, um, but it's kind of hard to tell due to, due to like how, how far later they were discovered. Uh, the inner surface of the right shoulder had two abrasions with no bleeding. His right armpit had a bruise, as well as the upper third of his right forearm. His ear, nose, and lips were covered in blood, and he had bruises on his shins. His fingers and toes were severely frostbitten. Had he survived, he would have, he would have lost them to amputation. So this is the first body that's found. And next to him is Yuri Kri uh, Krivoshenko. Um... Uh, and he was found wearing an undershirt and a long sleeve shirt, swimming pants, long underpants, and a torn sock on his left foot. He was found face up. It seems his cheek, ear, and skull were damaged somehow, with the medical examiner noting diffused bleeding in the right temporal and occipital region of his skull due to the damaged temporalis muscle, which is the jaw muscle. So something had hit him like near the ear and had done something to his jaw to cause hemorrhaging into, into, into his, his skull. Um, and, and so, so you can find a YouTube video on the Dyatlov group, and, and this is where I want to swing away from like a little bit of the facts and kind of go to where like this story has a lot of mystery because you can find a YouTube video on the Dyatlov group published by the Russian state owned media RT documentary is what they're called. And, uh, and they've got something on the Dyat, uh, the Dyatlov group that entitled Russia today. That's Russia today. Yeah. And it's, uh, their video is entitled following in the tracks of the Dyatlov group period get to the truth of the Dyatlov Pass. And, and the experts in that kind of claim that a person was either hung from the tree over the fire, burning their legs, or somebody had set the person and the log on fire altogether. And it makes the story sound a lot more drastic than it perhaps was. Here's a direct quote from Vladimir Sungorkin, a Russian journalist on that video talking about Kirvoshenko's flesh in his own mouth. Um, because he, he was found with like the back of his hand, like the skin on the back of his hand and his mouth. But it's also like, maybe it's this next thing. So I'm going to quote Vladimir Sungorkin. Quote, One of them had a piece of finger he'd bitten off in his mouth. It remained in his mouth. He bit, he bit his finger off. So he died. It's clear he bit his finger off because he was in agony. Otherwise, why else would you bite off your own finger? He died there as a result of his pain, and this piece of his finger remained in his mouth. We established the following. When they had analyzed the burns on his legs, they thought that he had fell and was burned. But the burn did not show this. The burn was the person was either hung above the fire or they took a log from the fire and burned him on the cedar tree from below. Can you imagine this? It's unusual to say the least. Now, I personally think that this dude is full of shit. Doesn't really know a whole lot about the thing other than a lot of the things that like a lot of because because a lot of these stories get murked up. And so, like, I don't know, maybe he knows more than I do, maybe he doesn't, but, like, you don't really hear about a thumb of a person being missing in the autopsy reports. You don't hear about that being in the person's mouth at the time of, like, it, it and it's a, so it's just weird. So he makes some, like, claim that's not supported by the autopsy information? Yeah. And so, you know, we're going to get more into this a little bit later because a lot of people make a shitload of various claims about this incident. Um, but right now we're going to talk about uh, Krivoshenko's autopsy findings. Um, his fingertips had abrasions to the soft tissue, and this could, be, could have been from, like, climbing the tree or gathering cedar wood. He had an abrasion to the right side of, it, uh, right side of his chest and up his collarbone, light red in color. The back of his left wrist and hand had a dark abrasion. Um... 
Three linear skin lesions with straight edges and sharp corners went around the inner side of the topmost third of his left thigh. So it's like a wolverine blade or something went through the topmost, yeah. Um, say, say it again, though. Three. three linear skin lesions with straight edges and sharp corners went around the inner side of the top third of his left thigh. Lesions, not lesions. lacerations. Oh, you're right, you're right. Um, there was a dark brown abrasion uh, on his femur and tibia. There was an almost a uh, foot-long burn on his left leg as well. So these are the two guys that are found under the cedar tree, and these are the states of their bodies. So pretty much that guy's whole left side got fucked up. Well, yeah, that's kind of what it seems. It seems like... Uh, like like he some... had abrasions here, he had something in his thighs, and the bottom was burned. It seems like something happened All to his right down. side, and then the things that are happening to his... Or something happened to his left side, and the things that are happening to his right side are probably different from different instances. Oh, I thought it was all down his left side. Uh, no. Uh, uh, so, go back to these lesions again. Okay. Just say that one more time for me. Okay. I feel like this is like this is going to be one of the things that stands out as being really fucking weird about the thing. Yeah. Why? Uh, what lesions? Why? So Lesions. lacerations, right. okay, an animal, something scratched. That means, yes. Right. And, and, but like, listen to the description of it one more time. Yeah, and, and so it says, uh, three linear skin lesions with straight edges and sharp corners went around the inner side of the top third of his left leg. So long rectangle. Those are long rectangle, rectangular lesions. They're parallel to each other, and they have crisp ed edges. Yeah, sharp edges. So we're not talking about we're not now we're talking about something created. It, you know what I mean? Like we could be I, because nature doesn't often create straight lines and square edges. And I and in, I'm in things like rashes. And I'm with you. A lot of the mystery that surrounds this is just that, like, obviously, from what we know now in the story, people left the tent and then got to this this campsite underneath this cedar tree. Right? Two people. Two people. We know that two people got there. Two of the we, nine. We have no idea what their state of, 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 of thought was. We have no idea if they were within their right mind. We don't know if they were falling or fighting. We don't... <clears throat> we have no idea. And so that's, yeah, again, that's what makes like. this it's kind very, of stuff so weird. It's very wide open because apparently there was nine people in this tent hanging out. And something mysteriously happened where everybody ripped out of the tent, not wearing their fucking shoes... Half one with different socks on, going to cedar trees like two kilometers away and starting fires. Well, and the funniest thing to think about this is too is like imagine like, being the what investigators. What drugs did you take right there? Yeah, imagine like, being the investigators and finding these two people a month later and being like, "What?" No, I'm thinking. I'm thinking like this? the dude with the back problems was like, you know what? Fuck these guys. Sounds like, <laughs> like fuck you bitches. Making fuck, fun of fuck me. Fuck you guys for making me sit on this, the hard ass back. No, bench. no, some, yeah. some other story <laughs> we don't know about where they, the they like, they said something about his wife or something like that. And he got really pissed off about it and was like, you know what? And drugged them all. Yeah. And they made it to about there and then they ate their first dinner or whatever it was. I like that that's where you go with this. <laughs> he poisoned them. I'm already onto aliens or Bigfoot. 
He poisoned him. We're gonna we're gonna get there. And but so, it's it's starting to sound like fucking aliens. That's I just I ain't trusting the guy that went back. I think he had a grudge and he poisoned the rest of the crew. They ate that first meal. And so the next the thing I want to talk about went wrong. The next thing I want to talk about before we go to break real quick is is the cedar tree because you're gonna hear me say the cedar or cedar a lot in this story, and it's because this particular tree under which the fire was made and these two bodies were made is a very pivotal part in the mapping of the scenario, like how how things occurred. And so, again, we're going to get into the cedar here. Um, and again, Yuri and the, the two Yuris were found, actually there's three of them, but the two Yuris here were found under, <laughs> I know, it's ridiculous, were found under the cedar. And uh, further investigation revealed that the cedar's tree branches were broken up to about five meters in the air, or about 15 feet. And so the, the tree branches up this tree were broken for whatever reason. Like somebody tried to climb the tree and it fell. And this is or where things. Those were the those were the the things they could climb up to to reach. The, like the dead branches are at the bottom. Oh, gotcha. This is probably a fucking big. This is this is a tree that you're going to take shelter under. Yeah. Right? So I'm assuming it's not like a little cedar tree. Yeah, it's yeah, a big yeah. cedar tree with big dead branches, and so they're climbing up to get the dead branches to burn. That makes sense. Yeah, well, yeah. and it's, it's protected. They're in like a little oh, snow they're, well. They're nice and dry. Break you know, off. They're in yeah, like yeah. a little snow well. They've got the cedar tree over the top. For well, sure. Yeah, yeah. There's fucking cedar boughs and things like a that. A bunch of bunch of widowmakers. But they don't. They got nothing. They got nothing in their hand. They got, they, they're they're like barefoot. Basically, they're freezing cold. Socks. It's at fucking and shorts. And what and, we know is this someone is someone have to make a fire though too because there was a fire found there. Like so they yeah, started. And a what we know fire. later is that this had to have happened. A lighter is one of the things you That's keep something. in your fucking underwear. Yeah, <laughs> we know that this had to have happened uh, between eight and nine hours after their last meal, which could have been, you know. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and so all of this happened throughout the night, which we later learned. So, spoiler alert to the audience: it's um, probably earlier than that in the night because it's they're in Russia in winter. It's getting dark early. Yeah, you're camping when you when you when you're out in the wilderness like that. When the sun goes down, you do too. You, you your body just is like it's bedtime. There's no. Yeah, so the initial investigators and, and like the research team, uh, or not the research, the rescue team, they found these broken branches very interesting, and the evidence suggested that they had climbed the tree for whatever reason, perhaps looking like climbing the tree to get high so that they could find camp. Um, however, forensic testing later revealed that the traces of skin, uh, that traces of skin were found in the bark, perhaps indicating a frantic attempt to climb the tree. While nobody knows officially what happened, whatever transpired caused these two men to interact with the bark on the tree to such a degree that their hands were, quote, ma uh, were, quote, a mass of pulpy flesh. Now, this could have been a fight. It could have been the guys getting wood for their fire. I don't know. But, I'm but thinking, the, 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 I'm the, forensic, the forensic scientist who looked at their hands said they had basic damage came from a lot of abrading against the bark of this tree. That, that's more or less what the conclusion was. Yeah. And cedar trees don't have the roughest bark ever, but they're not super smooth. Yeah. It's not like, it's not like a redwood. I'm yeah. starting it's like to kind of soft and silky. I'm starting to think that a bear jumped in their tent and they were <laughs> like an angry bear it was just like motherfuckers got food and i'm taking it russian bear just like i'll i'll have to kill tonight well, and, and it's jumped not a regular bear were, it's a russian bear so it's a russian so, bear and it's they, still a bear and it's winter time what do bears do in the winter time yeah no and that's what i'm saying well, i feel like it jumped in the tent and they were like oh shit angry bear 
ripped the fuck out that tent just like out of nowhere. They were hanging out doing nothing and had their shoes and socks off and stuff. And but it was just it like, time to go. Light. <laughs> time to go. And they all like, th- th- these two made it to that tree and then fucking were climbing up it because Bear was like still like, I'm fucking pissed. Yeah, but bears him. climb trees. Russians know that. Exactly. But you don't outrun a bear over two kilometers. You don't yeah. outrun a bear over fucking 200 that's feet. A lot. That's no. why I'm like, okay, maybe the bear started retracing. It got two of the other guys that you don't know about yet. And then it was like, where are the other two? Where's right, the, well, where's the what, what are their names? Uh, the, the Yuris. Yuris. Where are the Yuris at? Pivoshenko and It was just like, and they were like, oh, fuck, that bear's coming. So... Uh, do both their names end in Shanko as well? Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> this, 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 this John pair... Smith and John Von Smith. Yeah, that's, yeah why, exactly. that's why there's some mysterious anomaly happening at the cedar tree. Is like, they were oh, just, they couldn't. They clearly violated the laws of Yuri. Yeah. If you put too many Yuris in a single cluster. Dude, I swear to God, I went, when I took gymnastics as a kid, it was at Yuri's gym. Jesus Christ. I just remembered that. <laughs> so, uh, it, you know, the development is, is the, the development of the tree and, and the breaking branches in their hands, like having, uh, you know, been obviously forensically there is really interesting. But all of this kind of takes a different turn in looking at the Uries when the medical examiner noticed an interesting detail. Liver mortis, which is also called hypostasis, is the pooling of blood in the body due to gravity and the cessation of circulation that comes with the heart having been stopped. So in layman's terms, it's the collection of blood at the lowest point of your body when you die. Well, both Yuri's were found with hypostasis on the front of their bodies, which was not in the position that they were found. The pooling indicated to the medical examiners that the body had been turned over after death, perhaps by a person or perhaps by other means. And it is noted that some hikers were wearing each other's clothes. And I mean, it makes sense if your friend's dead, you take his clothes, you know what I mean? And, you know, in doing so, in the case that people would die face down, you might have to turn the bodies. So it's just kind of another little interesting piece to the puzzle. But we're going to have to break for this puzzle. And we'll come back. And we're going to talk a little bit more about the mysterious case of the Dyatlov Pass incident. Bum, bum, bum. The makers of the Lasso Hammer are happy to introduce you to our new product, the Rugged Lasso Hammer. With a steel reinforced rope and a stainless steel lead infused hammer head. Any man who knows his way around a construction site is going to use one of these. With high tensile strength and an aerodynamic design. It's fun for the whole family, even the kids. And you bring it to a construction site, you're going to really nail it. The Rugged Lasso Hammer. Swing it. Nail it. Rugged Lasso Lasso Hammer. Discreet Cleaners is your choice for confidential cleaning. We'll clean your carpet, room, backseat, or trunk, house, condo, apartment, boat, limo, or bathtub with stains including blood, brains, guts, bones, piss, shit, vomit, cum, chocolate, and other stains including dirt and mud, wax candles, rose petals, broken glass, and Dear John letters. Discreet Cleaners, we're here for you. Solid Foundation Survival Bible Fitness Summer Camp for Youth. Where we teach your kids to swim through the flood and outrun the plague. We walk on water with our new core program. We'll teach them to shoot, garden, hunt, skin, gut, and can all their own food. 
T-shirts are available at sfsbfscfy.gov. You can order the Solid Foundation Survival Bible Fitness Summer Camp for Youth Manual at sfsbfscfy.gov. Log on to Solid Foundation Survival Bible Fitness Summer Camp for Youth to get 15% off on all tickets to all three days of the Christian Fest's He Is Written Tour. Solid Foundation Survival Bible Fitness Summer Camp for Youth. Ready for revelations? Now you will be. We're back! We're yes, back we are. Uh, with Black Street Bad Apples, if you guys are just joining us. I don't know why you would be joining us like a quarter of the way through, but... If you are, um, we appreciate that. Yeah, welcome. That so, like, well, no, I I'm, it just it seems weird to start at this point. <laughs> it's like watching a trilogy, but only watching like the, the last movie. Yeah. But anyway, um, yeah, we're back, and we're talking about uh, the Dyatlov Pass incident. Sean, you looked like you had a thought before we continue. I was just thinking how you could join in now. Like, how would that even po- be possible in a podcast that's not actually split into segments? Like, part one, two, three? Well, maybe somebody's walking into the room, so. Anyway. Okay, cool. So we were talking about the Dyatlov Pass incident, and uh, we were talking about some uh, some of the forensicologies, which might be a made-up word. It's a made-up word. That, were, uh, Forensics. That, that, that we found. I didn't want to use that word. I'll uh, go with the first one. <laughs> yeah, thank like you, it. Sean. The forensicological Somebody supports me. Evidence. It's my, my podcast, Sam. We were talking about the forensicology of the first two bodies that we found, uh, uh, Yuri and uh, Yuri. Um, Really hard to remember. (laughs) I feel guilty for laughing at these poor dead fools. It just adds to the conspiracy of this whole thing. Where it's like, of course that had to be Yuri and Yuri. Yeah. And so we're going to be talking uh, next about um, Igor Dyatlov, the person for which this whole thing is named. Um, on the same day uh, of them finding the, the cedar and, and the Yuris, um, this was between the tent in the woods where the cedar was, they found Igor Dyatlov, the leader of the expedition. He was found about 300 meters from the cedar tree in a pose suggesting he was attempting to go back to the tent. So he was basically laying head towards the tent. Um, and along the same route between the cedar and the tent, they found Zenaida Zina Kolmogrova. Um, who was about three, 630 meters from the cedar. So she made it a little bit further away from the cedar. Like, if they're both heading back to the tent from the cedar, she made it a little bit further than he did. So we're up to four that went to the cedar, but two of them are like, fuck this shit, I'm going back to the tent. Well, yeah. that's what... That's best guess. I, I that's think. our that, best that's guess. That's what I'm like at, yeah. at the moment. Just it could have like well, rough, rough and, and it could have been that they, they you know walked towards the cedar where they thought everybody else was going. Maybe they were late risers or whatever. Um, and maybe they couldn't make it as far and, and tried to turn back to the tent and died there. Like, it's... Well, maybe they we're looked up ahead and was like, those fuckers dead. Yeah. And so... Turned around and fucking died. Do we have any idea of what the weather was like? We do, actually. Um, was there a storm going on? So, I mean, the night the, of February 1st, which was the, the night that this happened... Um, from February 1st to the 2nd, there was no inclement weather. There wasn't a storm. There was no snow. There was no blizzard. There was nothing. And so, it, and that's going to become an important detail later. But for right now, it just seems that people have left. And, and that there's but it, was, it, was, it wasn't like there was a blizzard also going on. It was just snow on the ground. It was just snow on the ground. I'm just yeah. thinking, like, maybe you were trying to follow somebody's tracks, but then the snow's blowing and you lose the tracks. So and you, you decide, well, I know I can follow my own tracks back. 
Yeah, and you know this is a really windy hillside, and so that could be an option. I'll determine right. once we get to autopsies on these two bodies. Yeah, and so Dyatlov himself was well dressed by comparison to the to the to our first two. Um, he had an unbuttoned sleeveless fur vest, which was um, it, it's kind of weird that it was unbuttoned, but it's uh, you know it's neither here nor there. Um, but this was also vi- later verified by Yuri Yudin himself, the survivor, as being a jacket that he gave to Dyatlov. So there was a lot of questions as to why this mysterious jacket was there. Nobody knows where the jacket... Fucking Yuri Yudin gave it to him. And so, like, we can eliminate that mystery already. Like, it's very easy. The guy said in, like, 2003 or something like that. 2003. You like my vest. You should <laughs> yeah. take it. And, and so uh, so he had on the sleeveless fur vest. Um, uh, he had a blue sweater. He had a long sleeve cotton shirt with four streptocide pills in it. And these pills are commonly used to fight, uh, like, inflammation associated with wound infection. Um, he had a blue sleeveless cotton uh, singlet. He had pants and ski pants. He had on one cotton sock on the left foot and a wool sock on the, on the right foot. His watch, uh, a Zazda, which means star, I believe, um, on his ri- on his wrist, stopped at five thirty one, and so five thirty one. And, and uh, I, I don't know much about <coughs> stopwatches a- at, around this time. Uh, not well, a stopwatch, a watch. A watch. Uh, uh, but it's a oh, I guess it's a just, wind-up watch. It's yeah. just fi- It's the same. It's, clock, it's a spring-loaded clock. And so clock we work. don't know if it is a.m. or p.m. Yeah, because it's um, just this. You just know based on what. But I think the time is a good indicator for when people are sitting down for leisure time and adjusting things. And I, I think normally these were like eight to twelve-hour spring watches. And so, so we can kind of we're working with a little bit of a window here, you know. So if it's at eight or five thirty-one. And we're assuming it's in the morning. Maybe that means the last time that he wound it was at nine o'clock. You know, we we can make these little time frame windows. Um, but it, it, we're not going to get too much into that. I gotcha. Because okay. yeah, we're going to get yeah. back in, into to the autopsy. Leaves like a window of of rational of activity time kind yeah. of thing. Like you had to have wound this at some point, and by the time it stopped, the furthest point back could have been here. Could have been so here. This yeah. is pretty much the time frame between winding your watch that any of this could happen yes exactly right. and we're we're assuming at some point after he wound his watch he expired and the watch then kept ticking until it ran until out until it ran yeah. out yeah so some hours later between not, this, not more than 12 hours later. if it stops yeah. here back it up x amount of hours before right the, we don't know yeah. he could have been like running and winding his watch yeah and then yeah, but at the very... 30 minutes later, died from the cold. Yeah. So at least at least gives you a plus or minus. Exactly. It gives us some parameters. Because to at the with. very last, like, say he wound the watch a minute before he died and stuff like that for the most extreme one way, then you can add in that much time well, and one I also... way, and then you can also go, well, if that's when it died and he wound it exactly that much before it, then you can go that way. So you know now you have a window of like, well, between this extreme and this extreme, we can say all these events occurred. And, and so I right. want to actually couple that. Right. I want right. to couple that right. with the idea that, uh, or rather with the forensic analysis. I'm not sure if I wrote this in here, so I want to put it here now, um, that um, they found that all members had eaten about eight or nine hours before their deaths. So that is very important when okay, we consider so that's sitting down. Like you, then you start accumulating like the twist watch, you know? Yeah. And then and, like, okay. and so that's just another thing to consider. Here's our extreme window, but here's what we found with this, and that's only possible with that. And you start chipping like, 
oh, but there was a fire. So yeah. now we kind of know these couple different things. We can start narrowing the window down. Yeah. And so we're going to kind of step back into Igor Dyatlov and his, um, his um, autopsy. Uh, he had minor abrasions on his cheek, forehead, eyelids, and above the left eyebrow. He also had dried blood, blood on his lips. Now, this could be from falling in snow, but we'll never know. More left. Um, he, yeah. he had uh, bruised knees, and his ankles had abrasions, which were hemorrhaging into the underlying tissue. So there's, there's some trauma that occurred due to his ankle area um, that was causing a lot of bleeding. Uh, and for 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 whatever reason, it didn't break the skin too, which is a very interesting thing to kind of take in here. Well, they they don't say he has a broken bone. They're saying like he something internal laceration causing yeah. hemorrhaging. Yeah. Anyway, um, he had a small single uh, incision in the lower uh, the lower third of his right tibia. An incision might be the wrong word, but uh, it it was it was like a a sharp point, you know. Um, scratches were found on his lower right forearm and his palm. He has also had bruises on his knuckles and the bruises that were found were commonly associated with like hand to hand fights. And, uh, his cause of death was determined to be hypothermia. So now we've got the leader of the group. He's either come back from the, 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 the cedar or he's turning back from, from his thing. Got the shit beat out of him yeah, and he couldn't move until he died of hypothermia. That's what it seems like. Yeah. And, and again, he's. He's not well dressed for for this point. What we can assume Angry. at night is negative two to negative thirty degree temperatures. That's like kind of the the the, the for this time of year. That's the average for that time of, of for, for for back in that generation Angry before Russian greenhouse bear. gases. And so next, we're going to talk about Zenaida Komogorova, also known as Zena, which is what we're going to call her hereafter. So this is going to be the fifth person. This is the fourth person. One, two. I thought we so we found two Yuri's. Oh yeah, yeah we yeah. found Igor Dyatlov, the leader, and this now we're the other we're one finding Zena. Yeah, yeah. gotcha. Incision in his tibia. Yeah. So Zena was found about six hundred and thirty meters from the cedar, face down, with her head in the direction of the tent. She was found wearing two hats, a long sleeve undershirt, a sweater, another shirt, another sweater, which was uh, torn off around the right sleeve cuff. Um, her clothes were inside out, which was a common tactic used to like dry wet clothing for like hikers. Um, uh, and, and it's used to dry clothing while wearing it to wear them inside out. Um, and so she was also found wearing cotton sport pants, regular pants, ski pants, and her feet were covered by three pairs of socks. And she had around five rubles and a military-style protective mask on her body, like on her person in her pockets. Out of the most, she was bundled up. Military-style protective mask, like a ski mask. I couldn't find more details on that actually, and so it's I'm probably I'm, not armor. It's probably a balakava. I assume it's something like that. I, I don't assume that it's like a gas mask or something like that, because I think that that would be very. Like that that's a detail somebody would have written in their diaries, which is kind of where we're getting our timelines to tonight. Right. And so somebody would have written about something like that. And so if, I, I think you're right that it's like most likely a balaclava or maybe some like variation of that. A ski mask. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Some nice, nice real cool yeah. one. And, uh, nice one. And uh, Zeno was found uh, with a dark red abrasion on her forehead. She had a pale gray area above the right eyebrow. Um, her upper eyelids had minor abrasions. She had a graze on the bridge of her, uh, uh, the bridge and tip of her nose. 
She had numerous abrasions to the left cheekbone, bruised skin on the right side of her face. Zena also had abrasions on her hands and knuckles, as well as a wound and missing skin on the back of her right hand, perhaps indicating a fist fight or them just falling down numb. Uh, she also got slapped. Hard. She also had a long, bright red bruise on the side of her lower lumbar region, indicating a blunt force trauma from something. Hmm. So it's pretty, uh, pretty, pretty, pretty interesting. There's some sort of like brute, like this with like, Zena, like you start something seeing, punched her in the back. She turned around. They went, "Wow!" Not punched though. Like no, this no, blunt no, force no, trauma no, no. is like a lot more. Like this is like a car. She wreck. had. She had lacerations to her jawbone. Uh, so talk about her, her the, the face injury again. She was found with a dark red abrasion on her forehead. She had a pale gray area above the right eyebrow. Upper eyelids had minor abrasions. She had a graze on the, the bridge and tip of her nose. She had numerous abrasions on the left cheekbone and bruised skin on the right side of her face. So hit... Sam, you guys side. can't you guys can't see this, but Sam is definitely. physically punching himself and it's then turning his face well, to, that's, to see how. No, definitely forehead, <laughs> eyebrows, a little a little bit here, but like cuts, bruises here though, and nose fucked up. Right, right. So hit hit on the one side. No, in but a like cuts cuts on in this. your in your face. Knocks off a tree or something. This oh, okay. whole area is wooded. Okay, and just because there was this cedar tree doesn't and mean nose. Okay. The only well, hold on, hold on, because Sam says the... this whole area is wooded, but I want to make a I want to make something known is that between the tent and the the cedar tree is one point five kilometers of empty snowland, and so it's not a woods. The the uh, uh, Zena and and Igor were found in the middle of this snowbank going up back towards the and tent. And there's a lower lumbar thing going on. Yeah, and in in uh, again she was hit with something indicating blunt force trauma. So that's not yeah. that, that's not a fist. That's more like being hit with a pipe or, or like, a bat or, or a spar. This is mostly just or a grassland. Yeah, it's mostly grassland during the summer, but during this time of the year, um, you know, the, this region is just Snowy fucking time, snow. Right? <laughs> it's like yeah. right. sixteen feet of snow too. It's not like a little bit. Here's I'm, their here's I'm their little memorial, and then nearby are some trees. I'm, yeah, I'm going with the okay. angry bear thing still. Yeah, I think it hit like fucking a car. Aliens. Yeah, it gets you in the lumbar, and you're like, no, and it's like, pull, boom, like paw bigger than your face. It's literally hitting you in Blunt one force s- trauma. Dude. It's literally hitting you in the front and kind of coming across one side yeah, where you but get if the a bear hits you with like and it's bruising the other like side. Like bears of your don't face. punch you in the face; they just take your head clean off your body. Yeah, yeah. But you already got hit. Bears on. maul things, dude. Yeah. If, so if, if it came up with a bear, if it came up with a one attack, that they well, there would be. If real, if there was a bear attack, where was the marks? eaten person? Right. No, I'm saying like well, we only have four people. So I'm just far, saying so like, I'm not even convinced that we're gonna find everybody. So. I'm just saying angry bear like that thing is like oh what motherfucker and boom boom they're just like going around tagging people just like I ain't no. eating you yet. Well, and mm, then I don't no. know. All right, I'm just. And gonna it go seems with like no. nine. It seems like nine really experienced hikers would find a way to like if if the bear is consistently trying to attack like it feels like all nine of them could come together and kill the bear 
right, I mean, so, I don't know. I, so I, then we roll with alien. But it's aliens, also negative aliens. 22 degrees outside or so. Then like, aliens. The bear's yeah. sleeping. Yeah, bear's sleeping. Bears don't get up and go hunting in that that's, kind of weather. Anyway, yeah, that's true. And so these four hikers that we've talked about, uh, they were discovered uh, February 27th. Now, this was about two weeks after they were supposed to have arrived. And as March 7th rolled like, around. Like, returned. Yeah, they were supposed to have come back, yeah. Uh, and not March 7th, but March 2nd, uh, as that kind of rolled around, and the search had uncovered the Labaz, or cash, that was left behind by the hikers, they, they were kind of starting to piece together everything. There was, like, diaries, and they were kind of, like, piecing together things. Um, but the story about the Labaz, the, the cash, was that they had stopped on February 1st to drop their supplies there for storage. And this would be there for two reasons. Um, the first was to lighten their load. Like, some supplies were going to be used for the hike back to Vigée, and so it wasn't necessary to bring them up to Mount Tortin. And so they would drop them there because they wouldn't have to carry it more than a dozen miles back and forth. The second reason was to establish kind of a base camp, much like climbing Everest or something would work. Um, and, and this was kind of where they knew that they had, like, first aid and emergency supplies and stuff. And in short, stashing their gear and supplies there was a very good idea. And so it was discovered on March 2nd, all their stuff. Two days later, on March 4th, the autopsy of the four hikers revealed the information I relayed to you guys earlier. Um, the next day, on the 5th, the body of Rustem Slobodin was found. He was found 480 meters from the cedar, covered in 50 centimeters of snow, which is like a little more than a foot and a half of snow. He was face down, head towards the tent. Better dressed than most other hikers, he was wearing a long-sleeve undershirt, a shirt, a sweater, two pairs of pants, four pairs of socks, and one felt boot on his right foot. His watch had stopped at 8.45, and it's presumed it was about 8.45 a.m., but, you know, it's, it's really hard to determine. Um, he had two, shul, uh, two shoe insoles on his chest underneath his sweater, I'm assuming to, like, warm him up, but, again, we'll never know. Um, he had 310 rubles and his passport with him, along with a box of matches, which were all wet, with 48 remaining in the box, and one cotton sock. His autopsy was performed on March 8th, and the medical examiner said that he was found with hemorrhages in the temporalis muscle, again the jaw, an abrasion to his forehead, a bruise on the upper right eyelid, traces of blood discharge from the nose. His face had a lot of small abrasions that w um, and was swollen as well as his lips. Everybody has fist, like street brawl. Everybody's got fucking classic... <laughs> Like, look okay. at every fighter when no, they okay. walk back out of the fucking okay, box. But that's ring. a left hooker. Just he, he somebody's let whatever it is hit in the face is left-handed. He, like Dyatlov, had bruises on both hands and knuckles. Again, common with hand-to-hand -hand fighting. He had torn skin he went on his up right like forearm, this, but he got hit in the right side. And bruises what... on his left tibia, as well as a fracture in his skull near the ear and temple region. And it wasn't clear how. These injuries happened, but the medical examiner at the time uh, suggested that the damage to the skull was was done by a blunt object. So it does seem like... To the right side? Uh, this was to... Most uh, of the damage is on the right side or like I actually didn't write whether it was his right or left side, but it is, it is his uh, ear temple region. It's well, like just you, above his ear and just behind his What you started with was the temple. right mostly. He's got a fracture there? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, a fracture in his skull the same, ear temple region. That was the same as the other. It's like... The, the damage is coming in on the right, which leads to me to being like, if I'm looking at you, left-handed, I'm getting you in the right side. Well, it brings up the question. Like, you're left strong, whatever like, that means. Like, I know you should be hitting fighting? the face 
face jabs are left, body shots are right, you know, type of deal. So somebody is a good boxer at the very How least. How do we know that they're fighting each other? We don't. No, I don't know who. Something's attacking them. They're getting damaged. At which, something, something without teeth that it's willing to use as a weapon, without claws that it's using, yeah. willing to use as a weapon. Damage right. is happening but from leaves, some sort of thing. Leaves on. weird parallel lesions. Uh, a what burns. did you say in the in the the guy's tibia in his shin bone? He had like an incision an or incision. like a really sharp in like insertion or something, something like that. Something sharp hit him in the in the in the shin, yeah. right? Um, it's like which it's ice- not hard to do. I've got like, some no. dents in my shoes. Honestly, you could get a piece like, of ice hard enough to, to do something like that. like those ice boots that you use to climb ice with. with they got the on or something. They, they got, got the picks and stuff front? on them. No. Oh, okay. okay. But though it could have happened in the tent, in his in his means to escape or get out of the tent. Nice like flailing. Get, get fucking a little tight. So far, nobody's got any stab wounds. Nobody's. Yeah, and so it doesn't seem like like if people were being violent, it seems like they could have had an opportunity to be a lot more violent right. given the terrain. So anyway, uh, it's also noted that Slobodin was found, uh, his body rather, was found laying in an icy bed, as they quote, uh, which suggests that he fell, um, he fell where he was found uh, while his body was still warm and like probably still living a little bit. And this heat transferred to the snow underneath, which then refroze after his death. Um, creating this like icy bed. And it is noted, however, that the icy bed found under Slow Bowden may have may have been found at the other sites where the other Ford perished, but nobody had thought to look for that. So the icy bed is just a detail worth the, noting. The first one they found, but it's the first one they found. See, and that well, and that's where I was saying in the last one. It sounds like somebody got wounded to the point that they couldn't move and then died of hypothermia, mm. if you will. You know, they weren't dead when they fell. They were like, I, they got beat up so bad that they could not leave that spot. Like you got what, a, you know, damn it, where you're like, oh, and I can't move. Well, I mean, by, I don't know. And like, they're, and because they're quite it's a so, distance away from either, like, if you can call them encampments from right, the cedar right, and the right, tent. Right. Hundreds of meters. Yeah. yeah. Which is like. It's a half a mile almost. Yeah. Between, between like, the two well, that's what I mean. It's like they distance. they made it being wounded either then well, so exhausted so, no, that that's this. where they fell think over. Think about this. Like, um. <clears throat> like hypothermia causes you to paradoxically undress. No, no, uh, it actually does. It, yeah. Well, yeah, that too. But I was um, just wondering. But it, 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 like, you slow. You start to slow. Yeah, yeah. And then you get tired, and then totally. you're exhausted, and then you're death weary, and then you die. Yeah, yeah. You know? No, I definitely. like it's that slow. So like you're hiking through this. And we have no actual records of what the temperature was there at that moment that they're transversing in their in in ill-equipped gear. Well, and I actually this I'm, cold. It, what if it snapped down to like so that's twenty below, but then the wind kicked up and the wind chill dropped to sixty-five below zero? You would die trying well, to cross your yard. Well, you know what, what I, I mean? was going like, to say though, I really like what you said is the undressing thing is is actually a part of hypothermia is you feel like you're warm again. You when you get so cold, there becomes a point of hypothermia and I know this from experience yeah, with it's a, just where a, you like no, you feel like you're actually on fire. 
you're like, man, I am sweating. And that's when you know something's like real bad. I was trained on this. Like if you got that one friend that's like trying to strip clothes off because they're like, they were freezing and shivering and now they're doing this. It's like, no, it's a bad, bad bad sign. Because they're literally feeling hot from being so cold. I thought, I honestly didn't think about that. I thought you were referring to like the need to take off wet clothes when you're like wet in the cold. No, your wet clothes will kill you. And it's, it's like, it's like a paradox. Like, ha ah, you now yeah. you have to get your clothes off. No, it's like thing. your brain literally tells <laughs> okay. you you're on, like, you're heating up. Yeah. Right, you're And you're so because you're so cold right. that you're now, Ouch. it's going the other way. So you will end up stripping. But now you're down. really warm and tired. Now you'll end up stripping down to stupid amounts of clothes in the middle of freezing cold temperatures. So now we're at six weeks after their disappearance and we found five of the Dyatlov Expedition hikers. We're still missing four? We're still missing four. Okay. And there is just more and more fucking questions popping up. Is the, the further we go in the story, but as further the investigators go down the story, there's all these questions. And one of these questions is that question that you posed. Where are the other fucking four people? Well, nearly a month after finding Slobodin. On a spaceship. <laughs> okay. Now, nearly a month after finding Slobodin. So this is, uh, uh, let's see, this is... Uh, April Bowden. Uh, yeah, it's April fourth. Um, they discover a place that they would later deem the den. It was May, and the snow had begun to melt when the Mansai native Kurikov and his dog were out looking for the lost hikers. He was on the rescue team, and he and his dog had noticed some cut branches, kind what of kind forming. Of dog was it? I don't know. I couldn't I really tell like you. dogs. I know. I do too. I really wish that I knew what kind of dog it was. It's really sad. No, I'm not gonna bring it up. Um, it was a cool wolf dog. Yeah, and so they had found some some like cut branches kind of forming this weird like kind of trail. And, and it wasn't like a trail trail because it's obviously it's in the snow and it's going to just melt away. But it, it did lead, it was a trail enough for him to follow. It seemed and, interesting. Yeah, and, and so he followed this around 50 meters away from the cedar tree where he found um, black cotton pants which had the right leg cut off halfway down by a knife. Nearby was a young fir tree and it was missing its top. And there were cedar branches uh uh, around in, in another piece of clothing. And so it looked like people were pulling branches from trees and stuff like that. And uh, and uh, and they also found a woman's light brown wool sweater with the right half of the sleeves cut off. So it seems weird. They find like all these like indications of sticks on the ground and sticks being pulled down and they find a couple of clothes. And but cut. Sticks but cut. like missing cut cut and, well, and, and that, clothes missing shit on the right side like a, a leg and a sleeve. Yeah, and I don't know if it's the branches like, that are cut because they're kind of vague about that. But they do mention uh, what we're about to get into quite a like that. The, there's this theory that there was a knife there, and they keep bringing up this idea that the the branches could have been cut or something like that. But I don't really see that. Like which two needed bandages? I don't see you doing that with a knife. Or what did you need to make out of sticks that you needed to cloth? Yeah. And because you're left-handed, you're cutting the right... I don't know. I, I, I was just thinking... I'm not like, trying yeah. to get too hard on this left-handed thing, but... but I was just thinking, like, who, who got hurt that they need to, like, hey, do you take the... You cut your, your pants uh, legging off. And he use it as a bandage to like wrap around a leg wound that's bad. So like, far, nobody's got any kind of wounds that seem to require like those like pressure, lacer- those lacerations. Nobody's or the uh, not lacerated the people lesions. Hemorrhaging lesions. 
But lesions aren't like a yeah, a puncture. You know what I mean? A lesion well, like, is like a what, sore or what's a, this leading a up to? Like yeah. if somebody break their leg here coming up. If like, I gave you an Indian burn for half an hour, you'd have a lesion. Racist. Uh, so when they had come through, that's true. When, when the when the rescuers had come through the area months earlier, they they had they had searched this area already. Um, but the snow had been quite deep, and it was difficult to search even with their avalanche poles. Um, but again, this was now the beginning of May, and the snow was finally beginning to melt away. So the rescue team decided to search the area again when Kirikov found the air quotes trail. He'd followed the trail into a snowdrift down a ravine seventy-five meters from the ravine, or from from the cedar rather. The rescuers were called over to the scene and began to dig into this giant mound of snow, and under four meters, or about 13 feet of snow, they found branches that had been torn and or cut, and clothing that had been set on top of the sticks. This contraption, consist this contraption rather consisted of 14 branches of fir, one uh, birch branch, and personal belongings and clothes. And so it was kind of a range that, like a little sitting area for four people, which is the exact amount of survivors we're looking for! So it indicates four people may have survived after the cedar branch and uh, or the cedar tree incident, whatever happened there. Um, and interestingly enough, the branches, you know, again had been cut with a knife or tool, but they never, they only ever found the sheath. They never found the knife. So it's, it's I mean, maybe it's it's big woods, so like could be easy to lose, you know. Well, thir thirteen feet down in a drift of snow, like right. Anything could have had that. That shit could be halfway down a mountain. Like yeah, maybe it could be ten feet to the left, and you'll never find it. Yeah, and so, no. so this was like an attempt to dig into the snow uh, by these people from for relief from the wind, much like they did with the tent. And it's a common tactic used, um, and it had clearly worked at least for like a little while. Um, and they had worked for a little while at least to kind of keep this little team alive. Um, but they stood like little to no chance in the freezing temperatures, which we're going to get into a little bit later. Even in a snow cave with four of them? Even in a snow cave with four of them. Because again, it's it's negative 22 to negative 30 degrees. We don't know the winds, um, but we're going to talk a little bit about... like 14 feet of snow, like you, you should be warm in there. Like We're going to be talking a little bit about cabatic winds later, and that plays a very important part in what we could be seeing here. So we'll get into that here in a little bit. But what we're going to touch on now is is that they were, however, like the best dressed of everybody. Um, and this indicated that they probably held out the longest and had retrieved their clothes from their dead friends. Um, but their bodies weren't found in this little den as it was labeled. Uh, their bodies were found about 20 meters from the den, which was about 65 feet. And so the first person they found was Ludmila Dubinina. And and she was found laying against a rock or ledge. So so you guys here in the studio can kind of picture it. She was kind of laying with her chest up against a stone and with her face upward into into basically a water feature, uh, like a waterfall was coming down. Like it, she could have been drinking from it when she died. Very weird position to be to to to, hmm. to die in. And uh, she was wearing a short sleeve, a long sleeve shirt, two sweaters, and uh, one of uh, one of these sweaters was Krivichenko's, um, you know, one of the two Yuri's. And this sweater, uh, the 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 what's it called, the uh, the waistband of the sweater right here, tested positive for radioactivity. We're gonna get into that a little bit later too. So, and also, this radioactiveness is another weird fucking piece to the puzzle. Because are bears radioactive, Sean? 
Yeah, you're throwing the bear uh, right out the window with that, yeah. for sure. Kind of leaning a little heavier towards aliens with things like radioactivity. Well, let me ask you this, Sam. <laughs> Do you think fistfights are radioactive? Oh, not in reality. So, like, did we? Did they just end up hiking on like a weird Russian nuclear dump site or something? <laughs> like, what the fuck just happened here? Where it's I'm like, assuming in in 1959 that this expedition is somewhat state sanctioned, like everything. I would imagine so. The but Soviets like the government that. didn't <laughs> talk about the nuclear testing they were doing there, and now it's like they so did, okay. Did no, put that's on, that's not it. Like what that's the, not it. You'd see evidence just in the satellite well, terrain and, from today, and again, yeah. like. The entire place is not irradiated. Mm-hmm. It is the waistband of a sweater found on a dead woman in a small creek that is irradiated. So that's something we... we just the waistband of her sweater. Just the waistband. So it's a really interesting twist. And we have to consider that when we look at like nuclear test facilities. Okay. Um, Let's get to the injuries. Yeah. And so, so from her autopsy, most of the soft tissues around her eyes, nose, eyebrows, and left cheek were missing, partially exposing bone. And again, this is three months or so after she allegedly died. Um, she was the only the time one of her in death. running water, though? She was the one in running water, yeah. So she didn't freeze? She was trying to drink the creek. She probably froze to death. But, no, 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 hold no, no, on, no. Hold she on, might no. have died from hypothermia, but I'm saying she didn't, she she didn't, didn't freeze. freeze solid. Well, like the other ones because this is they were buried in snow. This is something you can argue because um, at the time that they died, that creek might not have existed. It might have been a little trickle underneath all this right. snow. Right. But they might have been standing in just a small little divot inside the hillside. Right. So it's hard to kind of like right, parse. Right, right, right. Because it's know. been, what, now it's March? Now it's May. May. It's May. Okay. We're well into spring. Yeah. Like, done past spring. This is when they find these people. And so, uh, again, most of the soft tissue around her eyes, nose, eyebrows, and left cheek were missing, partially exposing bone. Her eyes were missing. Her nose cartilage was described as, quote, broken and flattened. Um, Her lip, her upper lip and tongue were missing as well. She had four... So the thing about, like, all this missing stuff is that, like, this is the time where animals are starting to move around. So some of this could be explained by either natural decay or by scavengers or creatures a coming raven in. raven could do that. Exactly. And, and so we, we can't be sure of what's it's, going on here, but we know the forensics, and that's all we know. It seems weird that they would do that if her face was in water yeah. when they found her. Like, like a bird wouldn't well, stick its head underwater and i don't know that she was underwater i know she was a leaning against the water feature so i think at some point the water was spilling over her but i don't think she was her face was underwater at the time of them finding her okay so this could be explained by scavengers yeah and and so tongue thing's weird this can't be explained by scavengers though she had four broken ribs on her right side and six broken ribs on her left side. She had a, a hemorrhage of her heart's right atrium and a bruise in the middle of her left thigh. Jesus. So when we think about fist fighting and we, we bring this to the table, who the Hulk is the only person that has fists that could do shit well, like that. Well, no, but like, I mean, okay, th- it's a female. How tall is she? You know, how much does she weigh? Maybe she's on a little on the smaller side. I mean, she like is on the smaller side. A yeah. big male, adult human who 
was strong could easily deliver that kind of damage to somebody. But it also looks not like necessarily it, with their fist. It looks like a singular action, though. Okay. This wasn't a, a she multiple fell off of something. This she was, fell down something. She fell something. Something hit her. Like it's hard to explain. That would explain like falling face first onto a rock. But then how did she get to the thing? How did she move? Does it seem like she moved after sustaining those it injuries? It does seem that way. It seems that she moved after sustaining those injuries and the... Uh, that the, she was walking around with the, no fucking eyeballs? Yeah, she was walking around. Well, it's Again, it, we don't know, but it seems like she was walking... The, it, it seems like her and these other three people we're about to talk about were a small crew together. And this was their final moment. And so it seems like... they found everybody. They found all, they, all together. All everybody here in the ravine at this little water feature we're talking about that turns into a creek is where we're finding everybody else. We're just going through uh, Ludmila right now, and uh, and so so again she had a she had a hemorrhage to her heart's right atrium, which is is typified by broken ribs. Right. Um. And the and, ribs separated from her uh, sternum yeah. and punctured the plural cavity. We can definitely gather, though, that there was the group split up into two separate groups. They, yes, they split up into two separate groups, but we don't know if they split up due to people dying or to yeah, yeah. going missing. We That's just know that like these for four, whatever reason, the, they got literally five, just got separated in the dark. Five yeah, of it, them went to one spot and the other four went to another spot. Yeah, and it seems like these four, because they had enough intentionality and enough time to dig out their first little den area... And then to, fur to to move further beyond that, to go and explore, if you will. It seems like they, they were doing pretty okay for at least 20 minutes. You know, they were finally warm. <laughs> um, so Alexander Ko Kolovatov and Semyon Zolotaryov were found embracing each other in an almost spooning fashion. Some thought that Zolotaryov could, could have been carrying Kolovatov, but uh, it could be that Semyon was trying to keep Alexander warm. It's kind of hard to determine. But we're going to talk about Semyon Zolotaryov. He was the most experienced of all these hikers. And he was wearing a coat, a sweater, a long sleeve, a scarf, two hats, ski pants, two pairs of regular pants, and some underwear. So he was like... No boots. Bike, uh, he had hand, handmade leather shoes and some socks on. And these, these handmade leather shoes have a specific name. I think they're called Valadencia or Valenka or something like that. They're a Russian-type shoe that's actually designed for this type of stuff. It's, it's, it's not designed for, for long-trek hiking, but it's designed to be walking around in the snow with. So he is, he's probably, I would argue, probably one of the best dressed. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he's... One of the only two hikers to have been wearing shoes. So that's pretty important. Well, it's not important in regards to where we're going with the story, but it's important to note because it somehow he was either wearing was, shoes was when he it happened. one of the more experienced ones? Yeah, the he was the most experienced. Yeah. I gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. yeah and, and so uh, in his like pockets, and they call it pocket litter, um, they found some newspapers, uh, some coins, a compass, and another, and some a few other items. And one of those was a camera. He and he and the camera had spent nearly three months underwater at this point, um, but we'll get to that a little bit more later um, because they they kind of use well we're not going to get to this part actually later, but some of the film that they found um, they used to kind of uh, justify the UFO idea. And so Sam, I know you you like to to search things uh, on your phone while we do podcasts. Go ahead and look at Dyatlov UFO photos. Um, <clears throat> And again, the, 
they're there. They are photos that were found at this scene. I think it's just corruption of the film. Uh, I'm not going to tell you all what to believe listening, but uh, it's it's something interesting. Um, but it's also it's also interesting because some people use the idea of this camera as evidence uh, of a, quote, secret camera taken on the journey by Semyon, perhaps indicating him being like a, a covert operative. But again, this is kind of speculation. This is like kind of hearsay. Um, excuse me. Uh, the autopsy of Semyon Zolotaryov showed that his eyes were missing, as well as soft tissue bone around uh, soft tissue to the bone around his left eyebrow. He had an open wound on the right side of his skull with exposed bone. He had what's he had what's described as a flail chest associated with his five broken ribs. So a flail chest is more or less when it breaks away from your sternum, but also breaks. Mm -hmm. So your bone is now mm -hmm. just a floating rib mm -hmm. that is unattached. Um, and uh, so, so I'm going to use the online health encyclopedia of the University of Rochester Medical Center uh, to describe this a little bit more here. Quote, fail chest describes a situation in which a portion of the rib cage is separated from the rest of the chest wall, usually due to a severe blunt trauma, usually due to a severe blunt trauma, such as a serious fall or a car accident. This affected portion is unable to contribute to the expansion of the lungs, which creates some obvious problems for the patient, like hampered breathing, and can contribute to some not-so-obvious ones. Flail chest is, is a serious condition that can lead to long-term disability and even death. So Semyon Zolotaryov has whatever did this to him broke five of his ribs with enough impact that it can be described as a fucking car accident. All I can think of right now with all the blunt force is like an avalanche happened. Like something some hit him so fucking there'd be, hard. There'd be massive evidence of that. Yeah, well, yeah, and they didn't, you know? they didn't really find any evidence of that, too. Yeah, so yeah, that's something like that. That makes sense. Also, if you yeah. look to, right. to like the, at photo the topography, there's no way an, they're not, not anywhere an near a, a place yeah. where an avalanche would, would hit them. And well, also, they're like, in the uh, middle of this big open like imagine this it's like an open valley that's that's rising one direction yeah, yeah, okay. in by two little cliff lines and there's some sparse trees and then on top of either of those cliff lines is like dense forest but they're in a big open area and there's yeah, some yeah. rocks well and i also want us to consider that like that's that's the topography of the region as it looks and that things can be deceiving you know what i mean and and so like well, I mean, on a topographical map, you can see like yeah, you can see the slopes and stuff, and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah, but uh, we'll get into that later. But the the point that I want to address now is that like obviously some huge force did something to at least two of these people, to Semyon and to to Ludmila, who have both been shown to have like extensive, like just some of the most massive injuries a human body can take. Um. And so again, you know, these guys had had their their severe rib fractures, and the early in Ru the early Russian investigation said about both Dubina and Zolotaryov's injuries, quote, these wounds, especially appearing in such a way without any damage to the soft tissue of the chest, are very similar to the type of trauma that results from the shock wave of a bomb. End quote. Hmm. Hmm. Did you hear that, Sam? Mm hmm. So yeah, it. Seems like, like again, we don't know. So the story so far is something happens at the tent. Everybody escapes to the cedar. 
people try to go back to the tent, they die along the way, and then these people are either hit with like a a bomb or something. Like it, it's the series of events are wild to go through. It is it is an interesting thing. But we're ju we're just gonna go to to our next uh, our our next person found, which was uh, Alexander Kolvetov. Um, and he was uh, he was the guy who was being held by Semyon. So he was the guy who was basically the small spoon in the cuddle. And he had an unzipped ski jacket on. He had a fleece sweater, a regular sweater, a long sleeve shirt, as well as a sleeveless undershirt. The ski jacket had a large hole that was burnt at the edge. He was also wearing a can. He was also wearing canvas pants, ski pants, light pants, and shorts. And his feet had fire damaged woolen socks. So again, we've got another foot or feet with, or at least the socks with fire damage. And uh, his sweater, waistband, and lower pants were tested positive for radiation as well. Sam, you look like you have some thoughts going around. <laughs> oh, I got lots of them. You and your mustache, I can't take seriously anymore. I don't know if you guys, you guys listening, uh, don't know, but if you've ever watched uh, the gangs in New York, uh, the the guy named the Butcher, like the villain guy, Sam has got the same mutton choppy mustache beard thing going on right now, and it is very funny to watch him have emotions. It's extra sexy. It's sure. So in Alexander Kolyov's pockets were a key, a safety pin, and some blank paper, and two, quote, packages of pills, soda, and codeine. Um, and, and he also had some soaked mash matches. Um, he had tissues around his eyes, uh, his eyes and eyebrows missing, his skull was exposed, and he had an, an open wound behind his ear, fairly behind his ear, and it was kind of like a, he had this, his wound was fairly small, but he had this deformed neck, as they described, and he and water laden fingers and hands, and so this deformed neck could have been because he was like uh, in the water for such a long time, or it could have been because he, he like something happened to him. Like we don't really know, um, but he when they found him, his neck was deformed and in just in all sorts of like twisted fashion, very strange. Um, and so the, the third person they found was Nicolas Thibault uh, Brignon. Um, and he was the second person to have been lucky enough to wear, be wearing shoes. Uh, they found him wearing the perfect shoes for the Russian cold. Some Velenkis. Actually, both of them were wearing Velenkis. Um, and <laughs> underneath these felt boots were woolen socks. The rest of his body was wearing several layers. Ski pants, regular pants, sweatpants, and underwear. As well as a fur jacket, an inside-out woolen sweater, and a shirt. In his right pocket were a pair of woolen gloves, three coins, and some paper and a comb. On his left arm, he wore two watches. One of the watches stopped at 8.14 and the other at 8.39. Autopsy showed that he had a severe blow to the left side of his skull, which left multiple fractures behind the temple up towards the top of his skull. He had uh, a bruise on his lip and a, quote, hemorrhage on the lower forearm, size 10 to 12 centimeters. Er, and that, those are the dimensions. So it's, it's 10 inches by 12, 12 centimeters, 10 inches, 10 centimeters by 12 centimeters. And uh, so there's thousands of fucking questions that we have for all these fucking people that, that, that died in the, this thing. The, the official record states that... Um, Six of the nine people had died of hypothermia, and the other three had been killed by physical trauma caused by a, quote, compelling natural force. 
And of course, many people choose to see things differently, building their own narratives along the way. So after this break, we're going to get back into discussing some of the theories about what happened here at the Outlaw Pass. Oh, I already, I've already got it all figured mm-hmm. out. I'm sure you do, Sam. But I'll have to wait You're until super after the break. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, 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 dun. Break. Break. With our new patented deep seed sowing technology and nutrient injection technology, we'd like to introduce you guys to the Vibe Aerator. Yo, have you ever checked out the Vibe Aerator to my dusty dry lawn? into a luscious, green, fertile bush in need of whacking. You see what it does? Is it pushes juice deep down into your soil while laying as much seed as possible. In fact, I'm not going to talk about it anymore. I'm going to go over to my friend, Carlos Texas Ranger over here. Carlos, what's been your experience? Why, howdy, y'all. I can tell you firsthand my Mexican get his job done. Way faster. He went from Slowpoke Rodriguez to Speedy Gonzalez real quick. Go ahead, Jose. Tell him about that vibrator. Uh, my name is Jose. Bueno, pues cuando me recogieron en el Home Depot, me lo robé y quedé con el dinero de mi jefe. Pero esa cosa, jale bien chido. Ya le dije a todos mis friends. Tapero chingó, vibrator. Gracias. So you heard it first from Mr. Jose and Mr. Carlo. <laughs> so you heard it first from Mr. Jose and Mr. Carlos Texas Ranger. You can find this thing not just here on your radio or here if you're watching this on TV, but you can find this at Home Depot. In fact, I'd like to invite my friend Nick back here. Nick. Yeah. I mean, the Vibe Raider. It's further. It's lush. It's green. It's bush. You want to make your land fertile? You penetrate it deep using the Vibe Aerator. Vibe Aerator. Vibe Aerator. Vibe Aerator. Vibe Aerator. Hey, fields is still so clean. From farmyards to outhouses, barnyards to bedpans are highly skilled tried to change up the accent. Hayfields is also clean. From farmyards to outhouses, barnyards to bedpans. Our highly skilled team of shit technicians are specially trained to handle all your fecal phenomena. We'll be there to wipe your property clean. Hayfields is also clean. We literally take your shit. This week's episode of Black Sheep and Bad Apples was brought to you by Cryptozoologists Everywhere. Cryptozoologists. Eh, facts. And we're back. Uh, well, I'm back. I'm and also we back. are also back. I just sat down. Yeah, Sean just sat down. How's um, everybody loving their new, uh, their new custom-made Sam's Fanny... Fanny... Fantastic uh, seat pads. Oh, actually, <laughs> ass memory, uh, ass memory. It sounded sound like you were making something up, but Sam is actually not making something up. He uh, he cut apart a memory foam mattress, I believe it was. Yes, I have a new mattress in my house, and I have destroyed the old one. Yeah, and so he has provided <laughs> us with uh, much comfort 
um, Ooh, on my these, feel so nice. these, uh, these hard office chairs. Yeah, so look for that on YouTube uh, uh, later in the uh He's got season. a Geocity site. ASS Memory brought to you by Fourth Corner Studios. They're well, anyway, already stealing my ideas. So we were talking about Dyatlov, <laughs> Dyatlov Pass and, and the, the, the Dyatlov Pass incident. So where do you guys land on the story so far? Because I know that there's a lot of theories you guys have been pitching. Um, Sean, I'm going to ask you first. What, what, what do you think is the most likely scenario here? Because we're going to go through some of the scenarios that are proposed. But what, what, where are you at? Uh, I'm lost in this blunt force trauma stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm like, okay, <clears throat> party had some crazy shit going on. They split up into two little rallies that are a- approximately what? How how many meters apart from the first tent to the from, each other. From, uh, from the other little campsite from, from the from last? From the tent floor. to the cedar tree is about a half a, uh, a, a kilometer and a half. But from the other little encampment from of the, the four. cedar tree, from the cedar tree to the ravine where they found the the last four right. was about seventy five meters or so. Right. From so that's the, all right about there. From the what? More or less, it's uh, from the cedar tree. So we're talking how many meters from the first tent to so the so from the ravine. tent to the cedar or from the tent to the ravine would be approximately a kilometer and a half plus sixty five. Okay, okay. Yeah, it's fur- the, they went further away from the tent. Yeah, yeah. Than the cedar tree. Yeah. So my some face... of them seemed to look like they were going back to the tent. Yeah. They all have. So they got like a kilometer and a half between the two groups, roughly, somewhere in there, and they all got blunt force trauma. Well, four, are missing like four or so of them have. Have that, but all of them have injuries. Okay, yeah. Degree. So they all got injuries. All of them have injuries. Typical, so like all of them have bruised on their knuckles. No, uh, there's two or three of them that have knuckles it's that are bruised. It's kind of a half and half thing. It seems and, like, and and the bruised knuckles could be falling in the snow because they talk about abrasions on the knuckles. Now, ice, uh, snow when it forms is ice, and ice crystals are basically small stones, and right. so th- there is a lot of abrasion that can come. Yeah, there's a lot of abrasion that can come from falling, so like we can't determine whether it was true, but but <clears throat> combat or not, you know. I did like right, the bomb, like, the bomb thing that you threw in. I guess that kind the of threw weird, me in, the like, burns, like the weird burns, burns the on way that only the, the symmetrical nature of the injuries burns on one side to and mostly just like feet and up to knees area. Of burns, but then bruising on more so one side than lacerations on the other side. The shockwave kind of thing. I'm almost like, was there Russian bombing testing going on? So, Where like, so, so you're, you're, they were kind of in the realm the, like, of the Russian maybe, bomb. Yeah, you made a tent there. We made a tent there. We split four and five. It was supposed to be ten people, but one bailed out. So it would have been a tent with five in it and a tent with five in it. Where they're not... Too far apart. They're kind of working in like a couple groups coming down the thing, but like whatever and stuff. And then something fucking boom. Something happened. Yeah. So Sam, what, so, so Sean, to you're kind of like that kind of that that military bomb test sounds like it could be a thing. That's kind I mean, of where you're leaning. Up in some place and nobody knows what's going on. This and that. They're testing out fucking bombs. They drop some. They're like, it's out in the middle of nowhere. Just like we test shit in the desert and stuff like yeah. that. They're like, oh, we got Russian, Russian terrain, and they, I don't know, something yeah. whatever hits. All right. Well, hits bombs some, leave craters. Yeah, that's the only problem. Bombs I got with leave. It, yeah. Bombs leave. 
evidence of explosives, bombs leave shrapnel. It, if a metal, if a grenade went off next to these people, you'd be able to tell. There would be. So where do you stand on this? Multiple lacerations. Sam? So the things throwing me off, the things that I'm like just aren't fitting into like your typical it's tragic hard to put it into a box. Tragic mountain scenario. Yeah. The the radiation. Oh yeah. The radiation on just a not everywhere, not on everybody's clothing, just on some people's clothing. What was that? Clothing. Two people that had it on a waistband. I, I believe it was and... either two or three people that had it, and and again, it was like the yeah. waistband and like the bottom of the pants. So it's maybe like... a third of the group like had. But it was what they found was that it had been irradiated to the point where it had a radioactive signature of its own, but they didn't find like uranium. They didn't present. find anything like that. They were only finding. Radioactive high high energy particles. Yeah, which is weird. And that's all we can say about the thing. Right, it's so weird. Yeah. <clears throat> and so um, that's that's odd. The fact that there's like these this the, the eye injuries. The one group one with, person, their, with their where they're missing. They're wired. They're missing. One person was missing their eyeballs. No, there's multiple uh, people, people were missing oh, okay. their eyeballs yeah. and chunks of their face and stuff. One l- woman looked as if she was smashed in the face and was missing like yeah, a lot more. of face, a lot of face injuries. Um, the yeah. the like face injuries. massive chest trauma. It's yeah, it's a hard puzzle to piece together. Face injuries, direct energy chest trauma, and it, slightly burnt feet. So, so do you have but, any? See, none of that makes sense because if you, if it was some sort of energy weapon, let's just fucking go aliens all the way. If it was some sort of energy weapon, there's a bunch <laughs> of snow there, right? Yeah. So they would However, they would yeah. have. How would we? Not they would have to. Have, they would have to. Have, it would vaporize all the water too, right? In order to ir- irradiate an area, yeah, it would like, have to. Like do it that. would create a massive amount of of, of heat in, yeah. in in a small area or something like that, maybe, and maybe maybe not. Maybe they were getting beamed up, and but, then, but like, like they where did gave the burns up, come from? Right, they, like they what, gave up half the way. They were there like, is a oh, fire, so like there, there is like a the chance the, that the burns are from just being too close to the fire, but a yeah. little campfire, but one little campfire, right, right. I don't know, but so do you have an official like uh, position that you want to take before we continue? Uh, we're we're going to kind of cycle through our theories that, that have been presented. So do you have anything that you subscribe to in particular before we move on? I just don't know enough. And it's, it's just, and I feel like that's where this story kind of ends is that we just don't know. Wizard Yeti. Great mystery. It's such a great creature. Conspiracy theory. So first of all, we're going to talk about foul play and, uh, some of the people, uh, so some of the people see this case as a case of foul play, and they blame very confusingly either Krivoshenko or Kolotov or Zoltaryov, um, or all of them for transporting radioactive like isotopes. That like that there's there's this idea that these guys were working for the CIA, one or all of them. Um, and the theory states that that basically something went wrong during this exchange and combat ins- ensued. They were working kind of with like the CIA or the KGB or something like that, doing like this exchange of information or, or what have you. Um, 
and and it's kind of a flimsy story without much merit, and and, and it, truly, it's impossible to know. You know, we don't see any footprints in the in the forensic analysis of the of the scene. We don't really see any of that, and so so it it just kind of leads us to this dead end theory. Um, and also, out of these three suspected agents, only Kolyatov had had radioactive clothes. And so if all of them were agents or one of them were agents, you would expect like the radioactivity to be just prevalent over everything. And so so it's not really a oh, solid... Oh, because the one person had the radioactive sweater on, but it wasn't hers. It was the other person's. Yeah. Right. And, and then his clothes were also radioactive. Yeah, and so it kind of lends itself to that 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 idea but also like if there were agents or a meeting like why did these people want to get themselves out of the tent it, it like it where are the, the level, other footprints the level of fear indicated by how ill prepared they were for going outside the tent mm. seemingly because they all fucking uh, half of them more than half of them came to hypothermia mm. right yeah, six out of the nine, allegedly. Right. Yeah. So, I still say that guy with the back injury that didn't go up, poisoned the rest of them. That's the real winner. <laughs> and it just went way crazier than he, he was like, oh, they're just all going to die in like 24 hours. But no, like, they actually it like went nuts in their minds account, and then died. It doesn't account for the injuries. Yeah, it doesn't account for the injuries. And also, like, a lot of people have have like this theory that Zolotaryov had a secret camera, which was the one that was found in the creek. And and it's just like I don't know, it seems kind of far fetched and there's not a whole lot of evidence. Secret tying camera, it together. but the photos that they did get off it, like like people would have noticed him with the camera. Yeah, it's you know not a I mean? small it's... camera. It's not a spy camera. Which was available at well, this time. Yeah, but people were looking at the camera. In yeah, those exactly. photos in some of those photos. Like so the next the next theory we're going to get to is is a theory that has been entitled fugitives, and uh, and, and it's basically summarizing that soldiers came into the area and either they, like they were either the soldiers were either looking for people or they were there for a specific reason, which could have been that um, the people of the Dyatlov group had seen something they should or shouldn't have seen, and uh, that they were they could have also been mistaken for fugitives. Uh, but the soldiers basically had done something to these people, and and that that's what caused like the the entire offense, and and the reason that soldiers shoot people, yeah, and and the reason for this is that they discovered a piece of art like an article of clothing with an insignia from a a, a certain type of army regiment, and they they were like this is weird. They they found this amongst the 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 you know the cash here at at Dyatlov Pass. And uh, not the cash, but the uh, the evidence, and and they were saying that like people don't really have this unless they're in the military, um, but you can also kind of take that with a grain of salt because like Yuri Yudin, the only survivor, um, he was the only person that said that he didn't see that piece of clothing beforehand, and this could be explained because like soldiers in the early ask. Yeah, and like certainly soldiers in the early 40s who later became eventually prisoners used this insignia. Um, and this insignia, this patch later, quote, disappeared from the evidence room. But it's easy to think that maybe Zolotaryov, a late comer to the trip, like he had arrived at the very last moment to get on this trip. 
Maybe he had brought some items you didn't see or he didn't remember. Like, it, it's kind of hard to argue the fugitive thing because it, it's based on such flimsy evidence. And there's no, uh, like, footprints or anything. So so the, the fugitives thing is kind of a weird, a weird take on the whole thing. Grasping at straws. I think so, personally. And uh, another another theory is that the indigenous peoples there um, the, that we discussed a little bit earlier, the Mansi, uh, had moved into the region to attack these travelers. Um, however, when you know their name for the mountain, Death or Scarce, Scarce Mountain, um, it's easy to surmise that they didn't go there during this time of year because it probably didn't have anything worthwhile for them to hunt. Um, and it, it, it kind of just... This this theory appears to be like a flimsy way to pin this thing on an indigenous people. Um, and th there's no evidence that they ever were there. Um, and the area wasn't particularly special to the Mansi either. Mansi either. Um, it had little game on it, and there was like plenty of other land that was, it was more abundant with resources. Um, but again, like people also are like, well, the Mansi tried to rob them, but none of their belongings were gone. And so that story doesn't hold up at all. It's, it's no, honestly it's just racism. Either, yeah. yeah. Uh, and another one of these is, we've talked about a little bit tonight, a fight. Like a physical altercation. And it seems likely that maybe that happened. Like, I, I, I personally don't think it did, but it seems like the, the evidence doesn't rule it out. You know what I mean? Um, with both Igor and Zena having injuries to their fists, um, like there's like a slide about it evidence I indicating combat. There's no really, uh, there's no real motive. But like fight, maybe fighting, but fighting not themselves, but fighting something, something, something oh, else, and it something lends itself to like the to the CIA whatever thing. it may be and stuff like that. It's like there's an anomaly. That, yeah, they may have had a struggle. If you will, they they put up a fight for a second in one way or another. Each one fended for their life, if you will. Yeah, and that means that there's something that they're fending against. And like, why would somebody? Climb and that's a tree? all I can really kind of put at it. Is yeah, like, it's. I don't want to define it too much, but obviously they were fending for their life in one way or two another. Two dudes that climb tried to climb the tree so manically that they left that they destroyed the skin on their hands doing so and they left their tent to begin with without just, fucking that all their clothes is like. so fucking weird well in in one interpretation of them getting their hands uh that like roughed up from pulling tree branches down one reason like one rationality that i've had is that like somebody had to climb the tree Climbing trees with numb hands is not an easy task. But then your other job is to break these branches down for somebody else to build a fire. I could easily see somebody climbing a tree, not frantically, but perhaps frantically, because it is negative 22 or, you know, ish out. Um, I could see somebody climbing a tree and getting those same wounds, not from climbing the tree frantically, but from vigorously trying to, like, pull branches off of a tree. And so it's kind of a hard thing to, to delineate. But, I personally lend myself more to the idea that a person had to climb the tree to get wood for the fire. But just the fact that we they left know. the original tent with most of them didn't have most of their clothes on like they should have and stuff. Like the first, what, 60% or whatever of them, the five out of the nine, yeah, left without even shoes on. Right. That Which kind of meant us... that there was a hustle going on. And this is where I kind of lead back to this like, fending for your life maybe they made it out of 
a, there was a situation that made them all have to frantically leave. They cut their way out of the tent. They frantically kind of leave with yeah. and leaving their possessions. But whatever you got on you right now, while you thought you were in the humble of a comforting like we're chilling out for the night, you're getting comfortable. You're taking your shoes off. You got your different random each person's clothes on because of what you feel comfortable in. Each person is a little different, but you're you settled in. You settled in and then something broke in and then made you frantically go from that spot to another spot and then fend for your and life. And that kind of leads us into our next our next theory because um, hallucinogens could have played a part. This is where I was going with Because the some of these theory, theories right? go back to like this this kind of like espionage thing that was happening during this Cold War area. You know, and it, it, it oh, basically when they were doing all that LSD testing. And like, yeah. what were they eating? What was going on? What was happening with some. Thing. That's where I kind of brought up the like, oh, the guy on the truck that didn't go with must have drugged him. Like they hit the they hit the bread thing with some LSD or something. Like some weird, what's up with that dude? They would be able still with tests, you'd still be able to find evidence of that. But that's all I can if, think especially of. Especially if they like, died and their system stopped working. So it's yeah, like, and, But that leads me then next to the blunt force trauma. Is like maybe they did all hallucinate for some reason. It got too hot, just even like hypothermia. That's why I was like, maybe some weird random cold spell where it went from negative 10 to like negative actually 50, where they were all like cool for a second. And now that they're getting comfortable, they just got fucking chilled. Like, no other. Why did where, they leave the tent? Then so, why, Then now they're like, I'm too hot. They, they cut re- their way well, out of the tent. And, and, yeah. And, you know, so you know, there, there's something to be said about the theory of hallucinogenics because um, there are people out there in the world that think like either somebody in the group gave everybody drugs or they grabbed, like they, they picked up drugs. And that this could also be like a new secret, untested, like Soviet Union drug or whatever. Um, but some people think that it also was the fly agaric mushroom that they picked up that maybe they had carried with them, which would explain like some, some dry socks that were carried around that were basically empty, but they were just, they weren't paired together. They were just regular socks. And so it could be that they ate Went up fly agaric snowy, mushrooms, which snowy mountain ate the Alice in Wonderlands. Like, well, and you have to dry fly agarics in order to, to not eat the toxic part parts of them. And so at the beginning of this trip, feasibly somebody could have found them, pocketed them, keep them dry, dry them out. And they could have had a, a fun night trip in or whatever. I mean, I, I don't think that's what it was. Well, and that's it what I would sound like something that like people who were, trying to go on an expedition to the top of a mountain yeah in winter in dangerous it's already a dangerous thing to do you don't add the Wait, dang, so the, dude, the professional the, thing to do the dude with no mushrooms. badges was on the trip right he wasn't the guy yeah. that went back on the truck with the back problems i don't think so okay so that's all i was gonna is like maybe the dude with no badges was like yo you want to eat some drugs so like they're really all the way down. It's like yo, I'm about to get my first badge. You want to get high? So, so the next leg I'm of this this either. theory is <laughs> yeah. um, is Sam you mentioned earlier a Sasquatch or a Yeti. And there's yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm going to show you guys here in a second. Uh, but there's a grainy <clears throat> photo of the supposed Yeti that is theorized to have attacked them. It's not conclusive, and it's a photo of either a silhouette of someone someone wearing like a dark jacket, or it is in fact a Yeti. Uh, the camera is focused on the snow collected on a tree trunk nearby, and in the background, unfocused, uh, is the dark silhouette jacket 
Yeti thing. Um, and it's a bit creepy to look at um, and, and to, to imagine it being a Yeti or a Bigfoot is, is again, kind of creepy. Um, but regardless of what you think uh, it, of this, uh, like, of this amazing mythical tr creature, I don't think this photo is exactly evidence of a Yeti. So I'm going to show it to you, Sam, and I want you to tell me what you think, first of all. Describe what you're seeing for the audience. I mean, it's a snowy for forest. There's snow blown against the trees. You can see clearly the path that someone had walked through the snow. And then further back, a little out of focus, looks like a person walking through the snow towards the camera. It doesn't look like... It doesn't, it doesn't look bigger then you know like it's not like much bigger or wider than the track that it's standing neck near and on so w would you say that this is probably more likely a human being um possibly yeah. part of the group yeah yeah that would be you, my guess yeah what, what what do you think sean describe what you're seeing oh man it's definitely like snowy forest <clears throat> a lot of snow that's like a good snowy forest snow up to obviously the apparent in the center fold of the picture a being let's start with that a being with snow not one leg i'd say up to the knee one leg uh below the knee by three four inches so it's up to knees and patches we'll say snowy forest what what do you do? Do you think that that looks like a a yeti, oh. perhaps, or do you think it might be a person in looks I don't like know, a we'll very say ski clothing? I hmm. I'm like debate. It looks like does a, that look like a furry animal to you? It looks like a furry <laughs> being. I'm like, there is a lot of shag. <laughs> let me see. Let, let me look back. Like that person's got a lot of gear on. Like I'm trying to be warm. The the, the 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 uniform nature, the like the the line where the tone of the whatever silhouette changes. You can see where the where where the pants are darker than the jacket top is. There's they're they're wearing a fuck they're wearing a hat. You can see the little. They the almost the look like they, the the thing that, that makes this photo it's like definitely a little got bit creepy. The, like, is oh, that it, you took a photo of me. Look like. Like you could have surprised your friend. You're like, oh, you. It's just, it's just a weird body position. And I think the thing that makes it look creepy is that the thing is holding onto the tree next to it, right? Which makes it looks like it's lumbering towards you. But in reality, it's probably just somebody trying to not trying fall to, over in the snow. Not fall over in the snow. Right. Yeah, yeah. So that's a that's another another theory is that the a, a yeti uh, attacked them, which. You know, if Yetis like are as the, strong as we think, it might explain some of the traumatic injuries. I like the Yeti theory. Um, I'm running with that. But so we're, we're we're going to go on to some more theories because we got a couple left. Um, infrasound, um, and this term was popularized in the book uh, in the 2013 book Dead Mountain. This theory, rather, um, by Don Eishar, and the the theory posits that a Carmen Vortex Street is what he describes it as. Uh, caused infrasound. And I'm no scientist, 
and I don't know much about this, but according to the theory, these type of vortexes can produce cabatic winds, which is like a downward push of strong winds. And in this case, the winds could have caught the slope emitting an infrasonic sound. And infrasonic sound is the kind of sound that you can't physically hear, but makes you panic and terrified. And so it's an interesting theory because if these winds had been strong enough over the mountain slope to create these sounds, it could have scared the actual shit out of everybody. And this could explain why the tent was so suddenly like cut open from the inside. And this could have been caused by panic, but it doesn't like it. It doesn't explain the traumatic injuries. So the police in New Jersey use that infrasound stuff in their sirens. And when they go by, it doesn't matter if you're on the fifth floor or like right outside on the street or getting pulled over by them. It makes you want to hide. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make you want to flee flee like if you were out in the open but if you were in if you were in the t in a tent you wouldn't want to go outside where that sound was you'd want, you'd to, want to stay inside the, the tent. tent yeah and so so the next uh the next theory we're gonna go across is the secret missile slash like missile launch theory and uh you know and it, Again, we're getting into kind of the conspiracy theory aspect of, of the event. Um, and it's kind of these 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 theories develop. They always run into the same course. Um, and, and, the, and the same thing that these theories in particular run into is they're always missing a fucking detail to explain the actual like story. Like the crater or the shrapnel? Exactly. And so an interesting story is that the Dyatlov Pass uh, party were within the, the pass of a parachuting mine, causing an explosion. And this explosion could be the shockwave that caused the broken bones. Um, and there are reports that there were, in fact, um, parachute mines being tested in the area around the time. And the presence of these bombs could could be the reason that they had cut themselves from their tent, why they had broken bones and burns on them. Uh, and these mines detonate in the air rather than on the ground, so they mac maximize full effect. And it, so this is one of the theories. And a similar yet different theory was that a secret missile test had exploded overhead or nearby or whatever, frightening the hikers and so on and so forth. And there's little, little evidence to explain a rocket explosion over the area, and it seems kind of far-fetched because there was no, like explosive parts found there was no rocket pieces found anywhere the trees weren't fucked up like the trees were fucked up. Yeah. Like, yeah and so there's also another similar but different theory and that's the testing of radioactive weapons like a rocket exploding blah 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 could have left radiation blah 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 but they would have been everywhere it would have been everywhere and so <clears throat> that leads us to aliens Aliens is another theory. The only thing so far that really would just stitch this whole thing up is aliens. Is aliens. Is aliens. Neat. Yeah. Like real neat. Because you're like, yeah, they got weird tech. They could do all that stuff. Yeah, and that's why we're not going to go into that too much tonight. Because like you could rationalize that in so many different ways that like I think it's almost unimportant for us to kind of cover that here. Um, and from... I, I just think that like... It, the amount of radiation they would emit would be the same amount that you would find from from some sort of test. So there's kind of a, I don't know, it seems much more far-fetched. And obviously you can create any alien scenario to fit it into this thing. 
So again, we're just going to kind of skip over that tonight, uh, just because it's we got other things to talk about. The other thing I want to talk about is avalanches. The idea that an avalanche did it. So initially, an avalanche was looked at by the the, the Russian bureau that was investigating this. But the slope where the Dyatlov group had pitched their tent was a measly 23-ish degrees. And avalanches usually occur on 30 degrees plus uh, on a slope. And so this was a favorite theory by a lot of people. Um, but with it being too gentle of a slope to have an avalanche to occur, it was back to the drawing board for most enthusiasts and researchers and journalists. And so the mystery sat for 62 years, and for those 62 years, many sleuths, investigators, journalists, forensic analysis, conspiracy hobbyists, all these people have just rifled through all this information and every detail that they can get them their hands off on. But the avalanche has never really seemed to fit the bill um, until this year. This next part is entitled Disney Frozen and slab avalanches. <laughs> due, to re- <clears throat> due to renewed interest in the Dyatlov uh, incident, Russia decided to re-examine the case in 2019, attempting to find an answer to a decades-old cold case. In the same year, they concluded that Dyat- the Dyatlov Pass had been primarily caused by an avalanche. Many Dana analysts were pretty interested in seeing the scientific details of these investigations, um, but these details were withheld as well as any clear and vivid and detailed explanations of the the conclusions drawn. And so the scientific community was a little bit flabbergasted. They reacted like many math teachers do when they have students that can answer the question but don't show their results. Um, There there was a bit of skepticism thrown towards the Russian uh, conclusion. And not for nothing, like, Russia's a country known for being pretty fucking shady and not really transparent. And so many in the scientific community argued against the conclusion. The hill on which the team had cut in the snow had a joke, uh, a slope too too gentle and mild to produce an avalanche. Additionally, the night of the Febru- uh, the night of February the first to the second didn't have any snowfall, so um, so the slope couldn't accumulate enough snow to create an avalanche. Quite a few members of uh, had like uh, of the Dyatlov group had these blunt force trauma and soft damage, uh, soft tissue damage that was inconsistent with avalanche vi- victims. There was also the nine-hour span between the cutting of the slope for the tent and the avalanche that was alleged to have happened. <clears throat> this was when Johan Guam, the head of the Federal Institute of the, of Technology of Lausanne, Switzerland. And another colleague teamed up with Aiden Alexander Puzrin, a geotechnical engineer with the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology in Zurich, Switzerland. And these guys got together to build analytical models and computer simulations to show what the eight to nine hours, according to forensic data, between the cutting of the slope for the tent and the alleged avalanche would have happened. While compiling the information, they discovered that the 23-degree slope on the tent that was the, on which the tent was built was first and foremost actually closer to 30 degrees. And there's a really interesting thing that happens here because this particular site in which everything had happened has these undulating hills. Like the, the, the mm-hmm. Kolat Sakil has these rolling hills that... that that uh, essentially they don't look like they what they are according to, to you know when they have a bunch of snow on them and so upon looking at the initial reports they also discovered that an underlayer 
that there was an underlayer to the snow that didn't clump together. And it was described as a, quote, weak, slippery base that, um, uh, that a lot of overlying snow could easily slide over, end quote. And this is according to the National Geographic. <clears throat> and this is where we get back into kabatic winds, uh, or rather, katabatic winds. Um, and these are something that were also included in their initial investigations, but they kind of brought these forth with, um, with this new investigation with um, Johann Gum. Um, and basically, katabatic winds are when a wind containing a high-density air from a higher elevation uh, like drains down a slope uh, with the force of gravity. So it's like on one side of a mountain slope having this bursting, this bubble, this balloon, if you will, that's filling up with high-density air, and it's really cold air, and then a wind finally pushes it over that mountaintop, which causes a little pop in the balloon to bleed down the other side. So now we have all this cold wind rushing down the opposite side of a mountain slope. Um, and these winds are capable of blowing large amounts of snow downhill, perhaps accumulating weight um, on the slope above the encampment. This would also explain the delay between the cutting of the encampment and the alleged avalanche. But in order to find these people's conclusions, the team would have to rely on some of the best simulated snow that they could get their hands on. And they found it at the Disney movies, Frozen. <laughs> I'm going to quote from Geo National Geographic here. Quote, Guam explained how, a few years back, he was struck by how well the movement of snow was depicted in the 2013 Disney movie Frozen. <laughs> so, so impressed, in fact, that he decided to ask its animators how they pulled it off. Um, the Walt Disney uh, Company is a major owner and partner with National Geographic. <laughs> um, following the trip to Hollywood to meet with the specialist who worked on Frozen's snow, uh, snow effects, Guam modified the film's snow animation code for his avalanche simulation models, albeit with a decidedly less entertaining purpose, to simulate the impacts that avalanches would have on the human body. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, what? <laughs> it's such a... Don't we have something like, doesn't MIT have something for this? Or like, no, or like, no. Like no you're, Frozen. You're like, Disney does. You're, you're like, we should consult the college, and he's like, Yes, Disney. It's such a wild story. Anyway, uh, I'm going to continue with Nat Geo. Um, quote, like Disney's like, we want avalanches looking so great that we actually figured out the anomalies that happen within them. Yeah, and so again from Nat Geo, quote, The researchers' computer simulations show that the avalanche on Colat Sakil wouldn't have been huge, perhaps involving a block of icy matter a mere 16 feet long, about the size of an SUV. The small size explains why no evidence for an avalanche was found during the initial investigation. It would have been infilled. Uh, it would have infilled the cutout campsite before being quickly buried by fresh snowfall. End quote. So what we're looking at here is a, a possible explanation for like why a landslide of a it's it's of an avalanche. It's a little landslide of snow of a very small one. So where the encampment had been set up could could have been the site to a small avalanche, but that wouldn't really explain all the like the blunt force trauma and seen on the bodies. Like most avalanche victims die from asphyxi asphyxiation, right? Well, Guam gathered data made by GM using 100 cadavers. This data included calibrations and, and expected results for various weights, speeds, surfaces, 
in surfaces rather, such as if the bodies were cushioned up against something like a cushion, or if they were up against concrete, something hard. And they used this to see if the 16-foot-long the ice block could be the potential source of these injuries. They used this data to test their hypothesis about the avalanche. The conclusions agreed with what experts had said, that an avalanche of this type is known as a slab avalanche could potentially build up enough momentum and travel at fast enough speeds to cause severe injuries as seen on some of the bodies. And so uh, so I do want to show you guys... Take somebody's fucking eyeballs out of their face? No. I, I, I don't know what you think, but this is this is the diagram that they presented on the official... Um, release of the scientific documentation and it, it's just a simplified it's just a simplified model of how if an ice slab with significant force could fall onto a human body how it could cause um, uh, like impact wounds and uh, you know in and one thing they emphasize in the study is that they don't have the conclusive that they don't know exactly what happened. This is just their best argument for it, and I find it that I find it that it that it stands up to a lot of scrutiny, which is why I, I kind of wanted to to end end this episode with this, and and since it does seem to to kind of fit, like uh, it, if you had a an avalanche moving at such a strong, like at such such a hard speed with with a, a side that was made of basically like ice concrete and it slammed into a tent it seems like these people would have to cut themselves out of their tent in order to survive the earl mountains seems that they would have to immediately find something else to do in order to live um but it doesn't really explain one thing that's radiation the goddamn radiation yeah it's a little weird so there might be an answer to also that. doesn't explain the Wait, the uh, not lacerations, the um, lesions, lesions. I mean, you could argue that it's from falling down, but the thing that really bothers me is the radiation. And there might be an actual answer to why there was radiation in such small things there. And the answer is this little element called thorium. Thorium had been used as a lighting source for a long while before before Dyatlov. Uh, Karl Auer von Welschbach uh, perfected what is now properly known as the thorium gas mantle in 1891. And this was an amazing revolution for gas-powered light, as the thorium mantle could handle incandescence or like lighting up really brightly. And, and, you know, to, it, it could handle this to extremely high temperatures without melting. And they were far brighter than the ordinary lanterns that you would get from like electricity. They were even used as household illuminations in cities that used gas-powered lighting from a website called straightdope.com, which is actually a lot better than it sounds. Quote, But the thorium mantle did enable the American gaslighting industry to survive a surprisingly long time. At its peak, it sold 40 million mantles annually. Mantles were manufactured in quantity here, at, here as late as the 1940s, uh, later in other countries. Some streets in London, and at least a few in the U.S., are, are lit with gas even now. In retrospect, we would have bet we would have been luckier if thorium mantles hadn't worked quite so well. Mantle production has left behind a formidable environmental mass. Radioactive leftovers from the manufacturing process contaminate soil near former mantle factories to this day. Were it not for the federal Superfund cleanup program, they'd have been doing so for uh, for quite a few more days. The most common isotope of thorium has an has a half life of fourteen billion years. End quote. 
So it could be that an avalanche happened while they were using a thorium lantern, which it might explain all the things that were happening tonight. And and so like I'm not gonna definitively say anything happened mm. tonight. It's really hard to explain all the events and and the, the the nobody's ever gonna really know. But it seems like this this new research that's come out in 2021 is a pretty likely source of uh of, of like how everything possibly happened. I can understand having a an avalanche cave in on your tent, having to carve your way out, drag your friends out, having to walk down to the nearest area like a tree well that might offer shelter, building a fire, having friends die, having to worry about going back to the tent, having to to try to survive without the like I can understand all of these as as they piece along with this story. Um, but it's kind of just one of those things that's never going to be really resolved. And the fully. like burnt feet things. Yeah, I mean that could be dead people sleeping too closely next to fire. That's true. You know, it's 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 an interesting story at the very least. Oh yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, it was wild. So how y'all feel uh, about uh, about going into the cold and camping and hiking? You guys think you're going to take a little bit more care going? I mean, out there next time? I'm definitely going to do it again. But I already fucked that up once in my life, so I'm going to avoid fucking that up again. But yeah, probably a good choice. I decided to climb a mountain in New York in like fall. I thought, you know, whatever, it's fall. It's warm enough. It's I'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> I've never been so cold. Uh, that night was really cold. I was I at like fucking 4,000 feet on the side of this mountain. Pretty near the top of it too. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it was cold. I slept in all my clothes in my sleeping bag. Yep. And it's important, like this lesson in particular is is important for just people who are even driving, like during hazardous conditions. Like always, put a little bit more food in your thing. Carry a couple extra blankets. Like when you're leaving in a vehicle, you've got plenty of room to put other shit in there. Make sure that you're safe because. Jesus Christ. So people die every year getting stuck on the highway. Mm-hmm. How do you feel, Sean? Have you learned <laughs> any lessons? Uh, no lessons, but curiosities for sure. Yeah, it's uh it's an interesting uh an interesting case and I've been wanting to do this for basically as long as we've been doing the podcast, so I'm really excited to uh so I've done it cuz again, it's just one of those curious cases that you're never going to be fully satisfied with the answers, but yeah. Yeah, anyway, we're going to gonna get off here. Uh, I'm glad you guys are feeling good, it sounds like, overall. Do you guys have any last thoughts or plugs? Mm-mm. No. Okay. Oh, yeah. Buy my butt pads. Yeah, Sam's making butt look, pads. Look for them on YouTube. Yeah. Buy Sam's butt pads. Sam's butts and pads. <laughs> anyway. Maybe, maybe not available on Fourth Corner. You know, we did such a good job opening the episode that like, this, we should really this, bomb the end. We, we should really bomb the end. Well, it is almost midnight. We did get kind of a late start. So Anyway, thank you guys for listening to our long-winded episode of The Outlaw Pass. It's been a pleasure. I'm Lauren. Thank you, Sam and Sean. You are welcome. We'll uh, talk at you listeners next time. Dun, dun, uh, have dun. a safe time.